Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the British Wrestling Experience on postwrestling.com. I'm your host Martin Bushby and joining me are Benno and Jamesy and uh, obviously I wasn't here last time, neither was Benno, but uh, I've got to say Jamesy, cracking episode of the show last time around uh, with you and Alan Forell and um, what a match that was. I mean, it's instantly gone into my uh, top five of the year. I mean, obviously Jamesy and Alan discussed that at length on the last show, but I mean, Benno, I mean... Uh, not really managed to hear your thoughts on uh, the Devlin v Star match yet. Yeah, I definitely uh, echo that. Alan and Alan and Jamesy did an incredible job uh, discussing that match and getting into the the nuance of maybe the the broad overall story. But yeah, to be honest, I just mainly echo what they said. I think it's a bit different when you're watching at home uh, rather than being there live. You know, I, you know, being part of the the grapple app, obviously close to me seeing a lot of those five-star ratings coming in uh, from the people who were there live in the building for it so I was expecting something great when it came to watch the VOD and I'd say it, it lived up to it it lived up to the billing I d- didn't go quite as strong on that I was kind of um and around between four and a half and 4.75 stars but that's hardly a slice that'll still be probably in the top five matches for me this year uh yeah I thought it was absolutely incredible I thought it was just another I think it just said it's just incredible that this feud in general has delivered so many high level matches and I thought it yeah, it really it fit in with the rest. Uh you know, there were little little bits that maybe I didn't love as much being someone watching on VOD. I didn't think the commentary I found a little bit weird. Uh all the stuff about incels yeah. and tans and you know, very much uh, framing it as uh, you know, David Starr as uh hoodwinked the crowd and he's he's actually the heel and maybe that's the the story they're gonna end up telling long term. Uh, and maybe all that stuff will pay off. I found that a little bit jarring um, and it kind of took away from the finish a little bit for me as well. But, you know, all in all, I still thought it was great. The video package before it was incredible. The work of both men uh, in the match was absolutely incredible as well. They, they more than lived up to the occasion. And yeah, I thought it was another another classic um, for OTT that, that they just keep delivering. And I'm sure it won't be a, the last that we see, Martin. Well, um, I think they've um, announced Star's first uh, title defence, haven't they, James? He's taking on Mike Bailey at the next OTT show. Yeah, the, their next show is towards, I think it's the, something like the 30th of November, and they're back to that new kind of mid-sized venue that they ran um, for the first time. I think they, they, like they, they did the road to the road to the stadium show there a couple of months ago in the KFRC in Kilmainham. Oh, yeah. um, and they, they pretty much sold, it was one of the fastest sellouts they've had in a long time. Um, they basically announced uh, the Lucha Brothers and some of the other, some other wrestlers from uh, the crash promotion in Mexico, uh, Speedball and Mao and a few others. And without announcing a match, um, th- the tickets were gone within 24 hours, you know? So I, I think it's, it's an interesting one to, to look at in terms of, um, the drawing power of the Lucha Brothers, number one, and also like they've somebody we've never had over an OTT, and they're kind of they're the one act that I think OTT tried over and over to book, and it kept kind of not working out for them and that kind of thing. Um, so it's kind of one that we've been waiting for a long time, and I think it probably is a little bit of a sign of the drawing power of AEW as well. I think their their star power has definitely increased just by being on TV every week and that kind of thing. And as I said, no matches announced, um, no Jordan Devlin on the show. And I think it was something like, is it four or 500 tickets sold out within 24 hours? You know, so business is good over here, you know. And as you said, they announced uh, Bailey against Star as the main event of that show. Um, 
which doesn't make a huge amount of sense in terms of Bailey getting a title shot when he barely ever wins a match in OTT. It's kind of, you know, if we want to praise OTT for their great booking and the great storylines they tell and the great logic they apply to all their feuds, like Bailey loses more often than not when he comes to Ireland and that kind of thing. But regardless of that, I, I think, you know, Starr and Bailey, two of the best guys in the Indies and sure to be a great main event for sure. Yeah, I can't see any major storyline stuff taking place in that one. It's just like, you know, a good match to have for his first defence sort of thing and then move on from there, isn't it, mm-hmm. really? It's like, say, Bailey. I mean, Bailey normally loses when he's over in the UK, doesn't he, as well, Bennett? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's it. He's always the highlight of any show you see him at. But yes, I think because yeah. he's not so much a regular in, in really any promotion, that's it's kind of one and done a lot of the time, isn't it? And he'll lose, but he'll come back and he'll get his heat the next time he makes an entrance and hits those crazy double knees on the apron or some of his crazy kicks in there as well. So I've no doubt it's going to be a, another great match. And yeah, it just feels like a, a good, solid defense for David Starr and the way, hopefully, to, as Jamesy and Alan said, maybe something a bit more substantial, maybe a, maybe a big Will Ospreay match that can. Uh, wash the dirty taste out of our mouths from that <laughs> something like that maybe to uh to join the uh the five stars that dave Meltzer gave the uh the the match uh with jordan david star maybe uh maybe star and osprey can uh can break the Meltzer scale if they uh if they go back to that uh, i think that's probably the most likely destination but i think uh like bailey's a good uh speed bump on the way i'm looking at other uh Podcast. I mean, um, we definitely got to mention. Uh, I was listening to your episode of Thunderstruck with WH Fartway. Obviously, talked uh, Justin Liger against Brian Danielson. A cracking episode. Really enjoyed it. Well, got to ask him. I don't think I've ever asked you this before. I mean, you know, when you're going on all these trips to the US, I mean, where were you getting? How, how did you afford all this? Were you blacking it on credit cards or something? <laughs> you know what? I think I just. <laughs> Most of my wages, like the year, I actually worked it out once, 2004, 2005. I went on my uh, my PayPal account and worked out what I'd spent on Ring of Honor DVDs and oh. Ring of Honor trips that year. And it was, I think it worked out to be at least two and a half months, maybe three months of my wages that year. Wow. Uh, yeah. I just chalk it down to being uh, young and stupid and not much else to do with my money. I'd, I'd kill for that money now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, if anyone did listen to that episode with the Rage Park, it probably did come through that uh, I was very much the, uh, the epitome of the uh the, the roh bot the uh, the ring of honor fun back in the day so yeah those those days are long behind me now i'm just uh, old and grizzled and i and i moan about everything but yeah well it was very very as james he was uh, at a time as well very very much into my uh my ring of honor during that period so it was great to get to chat to wh about uh, some stories uh from around then now you're downplaying it, I think. That was the dream for everybody back in the day, weren't it? Mid to early to mid-2000s, heading over to the US to go to these indie shows. So, yeah, it sounds fantastic, actually. I mean, did you ever head over for an ROH show in America, Jamesy? No, I was never that adventurous. Um, I, I did venture over to Liverpool for the shows. Um, I, I think the famous first time I met Benno, of course, and the, and the famous bus trip and all that kind of thing. So the UK was pretty much the limit of my travels. Like, but but like Benno said, like Jesus, I, I would hate to look back at my credit card bills from those times. Like, you know what I mean? Because I think younger fans don't realise how expensive it was to to follow wrestling back in those days you know like what was a, a new release dvd benno you'd be looking at kind of 15 dollars or 20 dollars for a new dvd uh, 15 to 20 and if you ever like, and if they did those big weekenders when there were multiple shows i'd i'd be the same as you expecting like four or five dvds at the yeah, post so, yeah no you just but at it, it uh, you, if you wanted to see wrestling, there was no fight TV. There were no, yeah. there were no gifts, Jamesy. You couldn't, no. uh, you couldn't follow through Twitter. You had to buy, you had to buy and uh, get the DVDs posted out with a what a month delay at least. 
Yeah, and there weren't even the, the, the so-called illegal means that we may watch some of our wrestling on these days, you know what I mean? Like the ideas the ideas of streaming services and that kind of thing like just didn't exist in those days, you know what I mean? But as you said, you just did it and you didn't question it. And I, I do think, I do miss that thrill of getting getting the note from the post office yeah. that, that, your, that your batch of DVDs <laughs> had arrived and that kind of thing. Like that was always a great thing, like, you know what I mean? And, and the you know, the anticipation of, say like when Joe Kabashi happened, and, you know, you, you saw the live reactions and you saw the likes of yourself you know, on the message board, you know, giving the great reviews to it and that kind of thing. And, and like you, you'd have a good month before you, you knew you were going to see it. Like, but that anticipation, you know what I mean? Like it, it felt it felt special and it felt more memorable, I think, in those days to watch a great match. Whereas now, like we, we can watch a lot of great matches live as they happen. Or if not, you can wake up the next morning. And the match is there if you're ready to be watched. You know what I mean? And some of the specialists has gone out of it. You know what I mean? And I feel like maybe a lot of matches that, that are just as good nowadays maybe all blend into each other. Whereas, like, I have very distinct memories of, say, Joe Kabashi, the Dragon Gate Six Man, um, the, the Joe Punk matches. I can actually kind of remember the times I sat down and put the DVD in and watched those for the first time. You know what I mean? And there was definitely something more special about it, for sure. Yeah, yeah that's that it. Dragon Gate Six Man. I remember Power Slam absolutely <laughs> raving about it, and it took me ages to actually watch it. But yeah, and, and then it, it was really good. But you know, when it's like watching a, a film that everyone's hyped to the max, <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, this is good, but it's nowhere near as good as everyone was sort of saying. But yeah, still, um, yeah, it was weird for me with Ring of Honor because I got into it sort of like you know when it was all Paul London and Loki and all those guys, and then I sort of drifted oh, yeah. a bit, and then I remember. Um, um, Power Slam giving the Joe Kabashi like you know raving about that one and, and watching it and then so I wasn't as big a fan as you guys but I remember like dipping in and out of it and certainly uh, by the time the wrestling channel came around and they had all the ROH compilations like Paul London Please Don't Die and all those sorts of things yeah fond memories of watching all that sort of stuff Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's the that's the glory period. I mean, it's definitely not the business <laughs> boom period for uh, for Ring of Honor, but that's that's the proper stuff. Yeah, I, I was. Absolutely. Yeah, for me, it was just. I think it was the perfect combination of uh, of indie wrestling and, and all these great stars that have become you know massive in in other companies uh, since that time all being available in the same place. We kind of had something like an invert res a couple of years ago, but yeah, it's uh, maybe got a little bit now. Uh, but yeah, as Jamesy said, I can I was there at that Dragon Gate Six Man and Joe Kabashi, and I could probably go move for move on those matches. And you know, <laughs> bear in mind we watched a, a bit of an ICW show today, and I probably couldn't tell you one move that happened in the. <laughs> so that show that was only a couple of hours ago whether that's down to age or or, or something uh, the experience i'm not sure but yeah bit of a difference there well i wasn't going to ask you about this but i will now since we're talking about ring of honor uh, what 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 do you both reckon cm punk uh doing what he's doing with wwe then uh i think it's i'm it's disappointing i think because you know we all envisioned a, a potential CM Punk comeback, whether it was realistic or not, and for it to happen on WWE backstage in like a muted, cringeworthy atmosphere for his theme to hit and him to come out. Uh, it was a, it was a, not quite the uh, the lofty expectations or hopes that uh, people like myself who I, I was a big big CM Punk fan over the years that would have would have hoped for and yeah I mean that shows it's basically I described it on Twitter as WWE's version of Fox and Friends and that's basically what it is it's a fluff yeah. team and I'd be surprised if uh, CM Punk manages to get many of his his real opinions in there but maybe it's just a fanboy and maybe it's disappointed that uh, AW when uh 
I don't know. I described them as inept on Twitter, but whether they were whether they were or they weren't, so obviously there was a, a possibility of getting CM Punk to do something, and they they failed in that regard, or CM Punk maybe just didn't want to work with them, uh, regardless of what they offer. Maybe the truth's somewhere in the middle there, but yeah, certainly uh, for me, I find that quite a bit disappointing. Really, that after after all this time, he's come back, but that's what he's come back to. Yeah, like for me, it's it, it's disappointment because. Um, if he's going to wrestle again now, it's it it can only be WWE, and like I've 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 never been so disillusioned with WWE as as a company and as a product as I am this year. You know, like um, you know, we, we talk about Walter being on Raw later on in the show and that kind of thing, and and about how they how they can make things that should be special and should be, you know big moments and things that mean a lot to people and how they take them and render them completely soulless and completely meaningless. And, you know, now that he's kind of made this underwhelming appearance on, on this back, backstage show, like it's taken the magic out of a, a, his music hitting suddenly one night on raw and him returning, you know what I mean? Like th- that moment is gone now forever. You know what I mean? It will, it, it will always be the moment has kind of been spoiled. If he does come back as a wrestler we kind of already had it in our minds because he's he's kind of working for them anyway. You know what I mean? And I just looked at him, at him coming through those doors onto that TV set and he looked like a guy just, that was just almost like his, his spirit had been broken almost. And that he, he kind of is doing this job because he needs a few quid and this is the best money offer he's going to get for the least amount of effort. You know what I mean? And I don't know. It's just the whole thing is very dispiriting. Like, and I remember me and you, Benno, had a conversation. I think it was one time it was just the two of us doing the podcast and we talked about punk. I think we must have been talking about it was, it was coming up to Starcast or maybe one of the, that time when he was announced on Starcast, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Like, and we were so full of high hopes that he would come on to AEW and that he would be the catalyst for AEW kind of, you know, exploding and that kind of thing. And that's not going to happen now, I'd imagine. You know what I mean? And like you said on Twitter, it's either that AEW didn't really want him that much. Mm-hmm. or that he has no interest in working for AEW because you would surely think that with his, his history with WWE that if his heart was in wrestling, he would have gone with AEW. You know what I mean? But obviously they didn't, you know, that the money that he's been offered to do this backstage thing has kind of far surpassed anything that AEW were putting on the table. And yeah, it's just, it's it, it added to the long list of disappointing moments that WWE could have given us in the last few years that, that just felt flat and empty more than anything, you know? Yeah, I think um, like Bruce Pritchard is uh, fond of saying on his uh, on his podcast, he just felt like a bit of a fart in church, didn't it? it was just, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like saying, in watching him come out, he doesn't look like he wants to be there. So uh, no, no enthusiasm, no energy, no nothing. He looks like dead behind the eyes, almost. You know, and, and kind of some kind of a half-hearted line that he kind of half stole from Roddy Piper into the camera and that kind of thing. And you're just thinking, God, like this, he, this guy seems to have no passion or energy for wrestling left anymore, you know? Uh, and we're talking about CM Punk coming out as well, Jamesy, in a segment where we're talking about Ring of Honor, Samoa Joe standing in the background. Yeah, I know, you know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you should be marking out, shouldn't we? But, yeah. Uh, I, I, maybe, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, as well, I, I, I'd even concede, you know, maybe his heart's not in, even in wrestling in the ring, but how do we say, like, that that all-out pay-per-view, it was in Chicago, like we just said, we were talking about it at the time that he was there at StarCast, AW at the time, these are the third commentators, they've done really well out of getting Tony Schiavone, I think he's been brilliant, but I'm really shocked that there wasn't a role there for him, from a non-wrestling yeah. point of view as well, because, yeah, I think anything would be would be better than the uh, the fart and church that we got. Uh, <laughs> in church that's brilliant that's perfect Sad day to be a CM Punk fanboy. absolutely yeah yeah 100% I mean um, before we get on to the main bulk of the show I mean obviously um, Sheffield has been making all the news this week obviously <laughs> the flooding luckily I live in quite a hilly area so it didn't really affect me as much but I know uh, it's quite affected around Meadowall and especially in places like Doncaster in South Yorkshire as well um, but also um, I mean and the town centre was luckily uh, not really affected either because um, went to a because words matter too, which is a re wrestling uh, sort of live podcast event where they get podcasters from around the north to interview wrestlers at the Green Room Pub in Sheffield. And uh, I just want to shout out the Ogden brothers who did a cracking job interviewing Big Guns Joe. It was exactly how the podcast normally sounds. You had a uh, Andy sort of like, you know, getting to the bulk of the questions while Jeff was out of the side, you know, firing the zingers in and the uh, funny comments. <laughs> and that, so, uh, yeah, really, really enjoyed that. I mean, I uh, just want to shout out the other podcasts that were there, the Royal Grumble pod uh, with Michael Oku told a great story about driving back from wrestling in Amsterdam and then um, the Grandest Stage interviewed Breed Women's Champion Ivy. So, um, yeah, it was, it was weird for me because I've not really been to a live podcasting before, but a uh, really good afternoon um, on a Sunday. Great to catch up with Mitch, the promoter of Breed, and had a good chat with him also. Uh, I think they might be uploading it to the Patreon page, so definitely worth checking out, especially for that that Ogden's uh, live podcast. I'd definitely be interested in seeing them do another one of those. <laughs> but uh, anyway, shall we get on to some, uh, some Brit rests? Uh, and, uh, and a promotion we haven't really talked about in a couple of episodes is Progress held their Chapter 97 event entitled Sex Robots Will Eventually Be Capable of Murder on the 27th of October at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. I mean, before we even get into the event, I was scratching my head where this name came from, because obviously they're usually based on songs and stuff, and I was like, well, I've never heard a song entitled that or whatever. And the only thing I could find was a headline from the New York Post a few years ago that did the rounds on Twitter and stuff, so seemingly that's where they got the... uh, title of the show from it if, if you were interested well <laughs> um, i mean i mean like talking about the main show where uh, we had the the ojmo michael oku taking on david star in a number one contenders match um ojmo and star of of the student and teacher relationship in progress uh, didn't i mean they didn't have an announced match heading into this event and we had a bit of an angle at the start of the show with progress champion eddie dennis uh Though him and uh, David Starr in a war of words, and him, when he told Star the only way he could have a title shot was by beating OJMO in a match, and that was our main event set. And um, I mean, a lot's been said about the great year OJMO's had, and irrelevant of your feelings towards progress, he must have been pretty pleased headlining this show with Star, considering he's only been wrestling for a couple of years, and he is a student of the uh, of the former Projo, the Knuckle Locks uh, Wrestling School in London. So yeah, he must have been. Uh, must have been really happy about this. I mean, they told the typical student-teacher story in this match, Star keeping OJMO grounded for a lot of the opening of the match with some brief comebacks by Oku only for Star to cut him off. And as the match progressed, OJMO's comeback started to take the toll on Star, um, hitting him with a Fosbury flop and a moonsault. Uh, 
Well, eventually, Star kicked out of Ivoku's half crab and hit a second hand stance and for the win. I mean, I mean, Benno, I don't think it was in doubt that Star was winning this, but OGMO certainly looked good in this one as well. Uh, but the crowd was really subdued for this. I mean, they really came alive in the last five minutes, but I mean, these ballroom crowds aren't as vocal as they used to be, are they? Well, that's it. You mentioned the uh, the Ogden boys before and uh, the live podcasting, but I wonder whether those lads not being down there in London and they're not being so many travelling fans anymore. I think that does hurt the, the atmosphere in Camden. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting main event. I think on the positive side, I mean, I, I think Progress are putting, not everybody, but they're putting some of the right people in the right positions to succeed. I think putting Oku in a main event like this is a good idea if you're looking for the you know the longer term health of the company, similar to what they're doing with Car and Oar, who's kind of almost already you know feels like a staple part of the the Progress roster. Um, obviously, we'd all agree he should have been in Progress a lot sooner, and it's a shock that he that he wasn't with uh, Glenn Joseph's uh, clear affinity for him. But he's here now, and that I think they're doing a good 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 job with him as far as uh, assimilating to the progress roster. And I think they're, they're doing the same thing with Oku, but I think another key to kind of maybe the crowd not being as loud, and they weren't loud throughout the show, but I think David Starr's in a weird position. You know, you mentioned the the angle at the start of the show, you know, with David Starr and Eddie Dennis doing the, the, the promo battle where they were kind of shouting over each other quite a bit, and it wasn't maybe the... The promo battle, maybe I imagined them ahead that you get between those two. I think they've probably got a, a better one in them. But it, it did feel, it just the whole thing feels like a bit of a weird direction for progress that David Starr is, you know, this baby face who's independent and it almost by default makes the company the heel. Uh, and again, I think, you know, David Starr is the best wrestler on the independent scene. I've got no doubt about that at this point in time. So, you know, I, I do think it's worth those minor negatives to do it, but you can't avoid it either that he maybe fits a little bit weirdly as the, the top baby face, um, considering, you know, the status of the company and considering that, I would imagine the majority of those Camden fans are, are big progress fans and maybe some of the things Starr's saying about the company, you know, maybe don't always entirely sit well. And I think that does lead to, yeah, the main event like this where it was very good you know wrestling within the ring it was a it was an exhibition match for all intents and purposes i think you kind of summed it up really well there martin but as far as you know having a huge amount of heat behind it or feeling very much like a like a big main event that was kind of missing and i do think part of that is yeah david Starr's weird slotting in progress the fact that he's not been around for every show as well uh maybe hurts a little bit as well but Again, you know, maybe it's worth it. You know, if you want to get a get an Oku over, and you know, he is someone who hopefully will be around for the the longer term progress. I mean, the just the Indies in general in Brit Res, you want to get him embedded. Uh, and this is a match, you know, that hopefully people who maybe weren't, you know, were aware of him to a degree, but weren't entirely aware of what he was capable of, uh, maybe see a little bit more. And I'd say, yeah, like a lot of things on this progress show maybe more worthwhile for the long term than maybe the instant satisfaction of of it as a as a big main event match. Well, I don't think the crowds have been that enamoured for most of the main events this year. I mean, there's been certainly some where it's gone back to the ballroom crowds of old, but uh, certainly not for uh, for this match, James, are you? Yeah, and like I think you, you two guys have summed up an awful lot of what I was going to say, really. Um, I, I do think the one time they actually woke up was when um, the OJMO put on the half crab. And I think that that's something he's done really, really well to kind of get over as 
as his move. You know what I mean? He's announced as the master of the half crab or whatever it is and that kind of thing. And like they had the crowd they had the crowd believing he might win that match in that moment, you know what I mean? And, and like the way he locks it in and the way Star was struggling and Star would get to the ropes and he kind of brought him back into the middle of the ring and that kind of thing. I, I did feel like that was the one moment in the match where everybody woke up for a minute, you know what I mean? And I suppose they they, they deserve credit for kind of waking the crowd up from the stupor that they had been in for most of the night because, as you said, that electric ballroom magic seems to be gone at this stage, you know what I mean? It doesn't feel like the special venue it was a few years ago it does like it felt like the wrestlers there was a time in progress where people had to do very little and they were over so big you know you think of some of the acts that were there and how over they were in kind of 2016 2017 even parts of 2018 you know what I mean and now you have like I thought this was an excellent bell-to-bell match you know I, I thought both guys played their roles really really well I thought Star was excellent as the kind of bully the way he was treating Oku especially in the opening parts I thought OJMO's um comeback was excellent and that kind of thing they had an excellent professional wrestling match you know what I mean but the there wasn't the reaction from the crowd, you know, like they weren't getting reactions for a very good match when people were getting reactions for doing nothing a few years ago. You know what I mean? And that's the difference really, you know what I mean? And it's just, it it feels like a cold promotion at the moment and it feels, I don't know, there's just, there's a spark missing from it. They are trying with younger wrestlers and we might talk about a few other younger wrestlers later on that they're doing things with and that kind of thing. But I don't know. Just the, the spark and the magic to me seems to be gone. You know what I mean? And like we, we were talking about ROH there earlier, like, and this feels like the ROH when they went on HDNet, Benno. Do you remember that? And kind mm-hmm. of, was it 2009 when they kind of got a TV deal and they started doing pay-per-views and that kind of thing? And to me at that point, number one, all the all the big stars that I grew up loving in, in ROH were gone. Punk was gone. Joe was gone. Um, Danielson was kind of on his way out the door and that kind of thing. And you could say the same thing about progress now. And it kind of went in it. It went in the kind of more corporate TV direction and that kind of thing. And, and people were being pushed based on their look maybe more than their wrestling ability and that kind of thing. And I feel like that's where we are with progress at the moment. We're kind of in the HD net era of progress where, you know, they're serving a bigger master than they were before. And they're putting certain people on shows because they're booked for WWE and that kind of thing. And they're, they can't use other people for other reasons and that kind of thing. So I feel like this is the HD net era of progress always, almost. And it's, it's a bit of a chore to watch, like, you know what I mean? And it's a little bit of a, it's, you know, when we decided we were going to review this, I kind of had to drag myself to the TV to watch this show and watch these matches, you know? Yeah, I think, I think, yeah, because obviously a lot of progress shows, years gone by were like unmissable, weren't they? And now they yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, I'll just watch whatever people are recommending me to watch. I mean, there was, there was another highlight of this show for me was the uh, Cara Noir versus Ilya Dragunov uh, so rematch from that Progress Manchester show you went to, Benno, the other month, wasn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. I mean, Noir's entrance is always great, and I did enjoy the match. Two seemed to have like good chemistry together, and the closing stretch was great. Two of them trading headbutts and, and big moves galore before Noir picked up the win with the blackout sleeper. Uh, I mean, it went a bit sort of like weird in a weird bit in the middle, but I, I thought these two had a, a a good match and better than the Manchester show. I thought, Benno. 
Yeah, maybe it's loud bias for me. I'd maybe have them the other way around, but I don't think you're alone, Mark. And I know uh, I read Ian Hamilton's review and he was saying the same thing, that he preferred this match. Maybe it is the live bias, but I think maybe the the difference for me, maybe, is just the crowd were a bit better in Manchester and a bit more into it. Uh, you know, the the weird spots where they kind of you know, were lying on each other and then standing up holding hands where it was basically erotica at that point, you know, with all the, the headbutt stuff and the back and forth, which, you know, was a it's quite kind of an odd thing to do to do in a match, but I suppose you can say it was different. Um but that stuff maybe got over a lot more, I thought, in, in Manchester than it than it than it did here, and they definitely went heavy with it here too uh, I enjoyed it again uh, I do think it's uh, it's a good idea there's nothing wrong with having a an in-ring based feud you know where you know not everything has to be you know somebody spills a cup of coffee on somebody or somebody gets attacked backstage or somebody gets attacked in ring you know they had a they had a very good match in Manchester that was kind of a, a cold match coming in but they clearly had chemistry both being quite uh, unique uh, characters uh, in wrestling uh, and it makes sense yeah, to rematch them and I think they're going to be do, doing in the rubber match soon enough which is which is fine by me uh, i do think i agree with you it was definitely the strongest thing on the card uh, again i think karen noir is the right guy to get behind i think he's a like he offers something interesting in the undercard. I think the uh, just to keep the Ring of Honor references uh, thick and fast. I do appreciate you know when a when a company has an undercard like that bubbling under, like a you know, like Ring of Honor had like a, a interesting stories going on the mid card with say a Jimmy Rave or with you know just something that you can sink your teeth into outside of the main main events. I've always thought that you know especially in the last couple of years, progress has kind of lacked that when a lot of the shows just have. You know, show to show, you don't know which mid cards are going to be on the show, and nobody really seems to get a foothold, or nobody really seems to get a, a bit of momentum going. I appreciate that Karen Awak can kind of fill that undercard, the Jimmy Rave, but maybe he's a baby face his role in that and he can maybe watch his rise in progress uh, as it comes um so yeah I, I really enjoyed it i think it's a it's a good little feud to have a good little in-ring base feud as i mentioned there and like i say you get a lot of the uh the weird kind of sexually charged stuff that they're doing but i thought you got a lot of good action towards the end as well with the uh, the big drop kick and sent on counters and uh and a big win for car and noir you know as much as the crowd were relatively muted throughout they did at least come uh alive for the fact that he got what seemed to be a, a bit of an upset win there as well. So, you know, maybe he's not quite the Cara Noir that we're seeing in Riptide yet. They haven't quite got that entrance down. They're getting there. But I do think he's uh, one of the uh, the positives that you can talk about this uh, HD net uh, era of uh, progress right now. <laughs> I certainly think yeah. Leno raised uh, some really good points, uh, especially with people like Cara Noir, and maybe when you can bring Dragunov in to have good matches with the, the likes of him, James. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like this this is a good use of the NXT UK talent. You know, like they 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 are kind of they are on some level kind of bigger stars than a lot of people in the promotion now. You know, like we talked there last time about say the likes of bringing in the grizzled young veterans into OTT and having more than hype beat them, and that feels important and it feels significant and it feels like a big scalp for a younger team. You know what I mean? So, and in the same way here, to, to have Karen Noir beat Ilya Dragunov completely clean as well, in fairness, you know, um, it feels like a, a step up the ladder for a character like that. You know what I mean? And um, I thought this was a really good match, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I, I was in two minds about the whole sexually charged stuff. Like, it's it's not <laughs> something I've ever seen in a match before. Um, but, but somehow these two really strange characters with their weird charisma, they kind of make it work. You know, mm. 
uh, like when I heard about it, you know, when I heard people talking about it from the Manchester show, I was kind of scratching my head thinking, God, we're like, what is this actually going to look like? But somehow they make it work. You know what I mean? And Ian Hamilton made a very good point in his review. It, it didn't it feel like a very Glenn Joseph thing. You know what I mean? Like a, a very artsy kind of a thing. You, you could hear him on commentary kind of loving putting this theatrical side into wrestling you know what I mean and I do feel like it, you know, I, I, I sometimes get a bit annoyed when people refer to wrestling as art and that kind of thing and I feel like it's it's people who are embarrassed to be wrestling fans trying to make it more intellectual than it actually is when really it's just two guys beating each other up in their underpants in a ring you know what I mean and why not just admit that that's what it is you know what I mean but I do feel it, it has its place and I wonder maybe will it kind of end up that they'll have the rubber match in Sheffield in December and maybe could they get a tag team out of it for a while or something like that you know what I mean? Could there be kind of a, a good tag team there for a while, a good way to kind of use Ilya without him having to lose all the time and that kind of thing. So yeah, really good match. And that closing stretch, like uh, what I liked about the closing stretch was we went from that kind of, we went from those affectionate moments like where, where he's kind of, they're tenderly holding each other's hand to a really brutal closing stretch. Like you never lost the idea that they still wanted to beat each other and that in order to win the match, they were going to have to hurt each other. You know what I mean? So if anything, they amped up the brutality in the closing stretch. And I really like the finish, the, the way it, it was sudden and decisive and he choked him out and that was it. You know what I mean? It really got over Karen Noir's that chokehold finisher he does as a kind of a killer finish. You know what I mean? So yeah, really enjoyed this. You know, one, one of the, one of the match, one of the things that I will be looking back on progress this year is something that they did well, I think. I mean, uh, Karen was not the only one who's sort of like filling out the uh, progress on the cards and, and mid cards. I mean, Benno, there's a uh, from the rest of the show. There were some other people that uh, you you liked uh, from the undercard of the show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you know I mentioned before about the the undercard needing consistency and coming out of the Progress Manchester show. You know, I was very high on the Pretty Deadly team, so I was glad to see them back on this show. Wasn't so glad with the Do Not Resuscitate angle where they got shoveled into whatever the hell's going on over there. But you know, just passing the match itself, they had a match with uh, Sid Scala and John Briggs on the undercard, and again, quite a crowd, but and. And it was a, a very quiet crowd. It was like the, the point where I kind of saw what, what you guys are saying there, where like the difference in the progress crowd, they came out pretty deadly and they've got this brilliant kind of, you know, they've got a unique kind of pretty boy charisma. They're basically dancing down to the ring together and, you know, hamming it up big style. And it was just met with absolute silence. And like, I can remember the progress of all you, the fans that at least be single along to whatever the entrance theme was or reacting with some kind of laughter or booing to it. And there was absolutely nothing. And unfortunately, yeah, it kind of meant this being a bit of a, an offer match meant it was one of the quieter moments on the car for the crowd, but I still think they, they did really good work. Pretty deadly. I do like them. They have a, a very uh, mid nineties, uh, heel tag team act, uh, down pat. Uh, and they, they don't seem, uh, this is only, you know, the second time I've had the major exposure to them, but they don't seem, to be slouches uh, in ring too. Uh, I thought they were very good. I thought uh, Scarlet and Briggs were a team that I think maybe in a different environment, James, I think you could mm. be a big yeah. fan of, just a very technical tag team. Um, and yeah, I thought they had a, a fun match on the undercard and it was just a bit more of that consistency that I'd maybe hope for from Progress. If, you know, again, the Do Not Associate stuff, maybe colours my very positive view on this match uh, coming out of it, but all in all, I'd, I'd like to see more of Pretty Deadly on shows going forwards. And to be honest, you know, Scarlet and Briggs wasn't 
the idea going in uh, as a tag team. Uh, Daryl Allen was uh, supposed to be uh, their team teaming uh, with Briggs and Scala uh, stepped in. Uh, but I'd like to see them as a team as well going forward in progress. Maybe they should uh, offer something uh, a little bit different to these uh, undercards going forward too. Yeah, Jordan Brakes has uh, been having some great showings in Riptide. He's certainly someone to keep an eye out for. Have you had a chance to uh, check him out yet, Jamesy? Yeah, I've seen him in Riptide and seen him on a few breed shows as well. Um, I really like him. I, I, I did for all the world like a very young Jack Gallagher. And I think uh, Jack Gallagher to me is, is one of the big regrets of the of the WWE takeover of the Indies in the last few years. You know what I mean? Because I felt like he was just about to kind of break out and become a top guy, really top guy in the UK Indies there. And then the Cruiserweight Classic happened and he kind of exploded from there and, and was signed away. And that was the end of him kind of, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, anyone who knows me knows the kind of the style of wrestling I like. He's very much a throwback to the old world of sports style and that kind of thing. Um, you know, he's, he's still young and he's still green and that kind of thing. And you hope that he'll, like when we talk about any young wrestler, you just hope he'll be left alone to develop, you know what I mean? And just left to have as many matches as he can and go as many places as he can in the next few years and and, and kind of just flesh out his repertoire a little bit. I, I feel like he kind of almost leans too much into the world of sports stuff at the moment and he needs to kind of to fit in with the modern indie style. He probably needs to add a little bit more range to his offense and that kind of thing. But somebody definitely that I have had my eye on for a while, like, and somebody that's somebody that that progress should be using. You know what I mean? And it's not fair of us to sit here and criticize progress for not trying new things when they are putting guys like this on the undercard. You know what I mean? But what they need to do is is is, you know, you talked about pretty deadly coming out there, Benno, mm-hmm. and nobody knowing who they are. There are ways to introduce these guys to, to your audience you know it, it's not you know you don't just have to introduce people on the day of a show you know <laughs> do videos do interviews you know they have the means to do things like this they have more finances and they have more access to kind of high-tech equipment than a lot of indies do you know what i mean and there are ways that you can get the crowd to know these these acts you know what i mean and it's it, you know I, I don't give them a pass on just saying well they're new and nobody knows them you know it's your job to get people to know them and as i said these guys these aren't a small indie with few resources like they have massive resources they have ways of getting the point of these new acts across to people if they really really you know had the genuine desire to do so yeah definitely i mean we've seen we've been well I mean, uh, we've been seeing a lot of that, haven't we? The lack of sort of like video packages and uh, building characters up and matches just all over wrestling recently, haven't we? So Progress on the only ones guilty of that. And uh, But yeah, it, w- it will be interesting to see because like Ben O'Neill earlier, I mean, um, these guys used to come out and there'd be some kind of reaction from the Progress crowd. I don't know if they can even get that back now or what they need to do or need to... Because a lot of the time it is matches that are just thrown together with no sort of like meaning and purpose behind them. So perhaps they need to go back to basics and perhaps we'll see that with, you know, Matt Richards coming on board or what they need to go back to basics and come up with reasons why people are fighting rather than just throwing matches together sort of thing. I mean, um, Benno, was there any other um, highlights from the card that you wanted to talk about? No, that was kind of it, really. I mean, it, I, I, I'm not as, I don't think I'm as down on the show. I think I may be in the high man on the show, shockingly on this, but I, I thought it was an easy watch, all in all. Mm, I mean, yeah, I, I had, it was quite uh, short as well, wasn't it? Six yeah, matches I, again, yeah, which yeah. is good, I think. 
Yeah, I kind of, it's funny because, again, the difference between being there live, that live in Manchester, I felt a little bit ripped off because, you know, six matches and two and a half hours and we were going home and I was like, oh, is that it from a live experience point of view? But I'll never complain on VOD because, yeah, you're right, it, it, it made it a lot easier to watch. And, yeah, there wasn't much more substantive on the card, I would say. You know, Mark Andrews had his first match as a heel against Connor Mills. It was a straightforward, you know, undercard, heel win with a low blow kind of stuff. Again, speaking to video package and promos, I would have... Uh, you know, this is the first time I think Andrews has been on a show since that te- that turn with uh, yeah. with Eddie Dennis. And Eddie Dennis was in Manchester, but Andrews wasn't. Uh, and, it, and it was kind of weird to get him thrown out cold as the, as the heel in this match. Uh, again, he, that's probably a lesson for, you know, different isn't always good. Is this really going to stick a, a Mark Andrews heel run? I know they've done everything you can possibly do with him as a, as a babyface in progress, but feels a bit like on a on a hide into nowhere there um miko and danny luna was a match uh, i know we i think we thought we might be talking about that one in a bit of detail but i came out with very minimal notes yeah. on that one it was pretty much a straightforward uh miko win wasn't it um she was over you know as far as anyone can be over on these shows she you know She's a star as soon as she walks into any room in Brit Res, which does make you wonder why it took them so long to get her in. Uh, but I didn't think, you know, I thought Danny was fine, but she was just the the other person uh, in the match for that one. It wasn't uh, much to write home about there. So, yeah, you know, there, there were some highlights, you know, peppered throughout the show and some reason to be hopeful if you're, you know, you're a progress diehard and you're going to be watching every one of these shows. But maybe it's the, you know, the pain of, even trying to do rebuilding process, these shows don't feel very, very must watch at the moment. And if you are someone picking and choosing, maybe go out and pick the uh, the main event and the uh, the Ilya um, Karanoir match. Uh, but other than that, yeah, you know, although I, again, I'd say it was an, an easy couple hour watch. You're not going to be missing much in your life if you uh, if you don't go out and check out this entire card. I mean, moving forward with progress, we've got Chapter 98 coming up with Paul Robinson against Tim Thatcher and the. Long away, a rematch between Ginny and Tony Storm, and then, uh, <laughs> then <laughs> returning Sheffield for Chapter 99, and that features uh, Timothy Thatcher against Cassie Sono and uh, the rubber match between Coronawar and Ilya Dragunov. Uh, I mean, obviously, Tim v. Cassius is certainly looks like a cracking match on paper, but uh, progress chugging to the end of probably the most lackluster year here as a promotion. I mean, obviously, Jim Smallman's leaving, you know, Matt, Matt Richards is coming on board. Um, I don't, I'm not sure what the timeline is for Eddie Dennis coming back, but I mean, this is might be more end of year sh- sort of chat, but um, we are in November here, but Benno, do you think, obviously, they could never keep up that momentum for, I mean, things can't keep that momentum for so long, can they? And then obviously there's the WWE connection that's obviously switched some fans off, and, and we don't come on this show to, you know, dog shows, it's just we, we've got to give us honest opinion about these things, but can you, do you feel like they'll be able to recapture some of the old progress magic next year with, uh, you know, some of the newer guys maybe moved up to the top or, you know, or the new sort of like change of direction in terms of like the, the creative behind the scenes? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the show in some Again, if you want to take it charitably, like we said, they're, they're in a rebuilding phase, quote unquote. And, you know, the it's going to take time to get some of these undercard acts over. And there are some, like, do not just state it, we're never going to get over. But, you know, <laughs> there's some that are, are, you know, that we mentioned in the mix there. The likes of the, the Pretty Deadly Lads, the likes of Karen Noir, the likes of Michael Oku that are worthwhile putting the time into. And, you know, that 
could pay off next year. But I think maybe the more pessimistic way to look at it is this is what progress is now. And, you know, these are the, the toys they've got left to play with, as well as, you know, mixing in the the NXT UK guys that they have available in any given month. And I think, you know, even with the change in, in personnel, and you know, full disclosure, I, am, I do know Matt Richards quite well. I'm happy he got the job. But, you know, as far as big change in progress, it doesn't feel like big change. It feels like they're going to be just trundling on doing the same thing, same presentation, kind of same aesthetic to the promotion and a, a similar vibe. If, you know, Matt, you know, if and when Matt takes over, and I think he is a small man in January, um, as far as, you know, being on the ring announcing as well to give it maybe that same old look going forward. So I think like James, he said, similar to the ROH HD net era, which is a brilliant comparison, the best you can hope for is, you know, given the perimeters we're in, given the fact that, you know, we've spent three years moaning about it. So we probably don't need to revisit that, you know, the WWE NXT UK stuff that's kind of you know that that cloud uh, constantly over things given the limitations that the that they're now under that they maybe put themselves under and given what progress is right now and given the, you know the general I would say lack of buzz around the high level uh, res indies I think like you know the ROH HD net uh, era you can kind of hope for the odd good show hope for the odd bright spot here and you can try and enjoy it for what it is but as far as wishing for it to hit those heights that they hit only a, a couple of years ago i think those days are, are long behind us and i think you described it perfectly well there martin it is just a, a promotion that's just going to continue to trundle on and while it's still profitable i think it's it's always going to exist in some form whether that's on the WWE network or whether it's just you know as it is now but i think yeah you can maybe just take those those small victories rather than maybe hoping that you know we wholesale go back to the uh, the boom periods of uh, 2015 anytime soon. Yeah, because, I mean, you mentioned the WWE Network then. I mean, do you ever think that's going to happen, James? I mean, I feel, I feel like me and Benno have been talking about this since we've <laughs> known Benno. You know, we're talking know. about, uh, you know, progress and ICW and the <laughs> like going on the WWE Network. I mean, do you, I mean, we saw, was it... Um, Rick Westerway days, but he'd been searching around the new setup for the WWE Network and he'd seen some ICW shows. On yeah. So do you think next year we'll finally see progress on the network? I, I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I, I don't see why anything will change. You know what I mean? And I feel like it's we will have the same cycle in 2020 that we've had in 2018 and 2019, where at some point during the year, something will happen where all of a sudden there'll be a big tightening up on talent again and it would leak out from somebody that, oh, NXT UK talents are no longer allowed to work for any promotions except mm-hmm. for Progress, WXW and, and, and a couple more, you know. And, and we had that a few, a few months ago and all of a sudden, and like you had the likes of Ginny saying goodbye to all the promotions she worked for and all that kind of thing. And now Ginny's back everywhere. Ginny's back in Riptide again next month, where she had said a big goodbye. Ginny's back in Progress, wrestling Tony Storm, where she'd said a big goodbye. Ginny was back in OTT last month, wrestling again. Um, and like all of a sudden, you're seeing kind of the, all those wrestlers who, who kind of we hadn't seen on the indies for a few months all taking bookings again. Mm. And the network, the network thing is exactly the same thing. You know what I mean? That there'll be some rumors about it. There'll be talk about it. Something will happen where uh, maybe an NXT wrestler gets injured working an indie show and there'll be a tightening of the reins for a while and that kind of thing. And a few people will get pulled off shows where they'd been promised we'd see them and that kind of thing. Or somebody will get pulled on the morning of a show and we'd all get angry about NXT UK and we'll all get irate about it. And, you know, we'll be, there'll be the doomsday predictions of all these promotions going onto the network and 
you know, WXW changed their music. They must be going on the network and all this kind of thing. And we'll be sitting here at the end of 2020 and we'll kind of be meandering along in the same way, I think. And I think that there isn't, there clearly isn't the desire on WWE's part. Like, I don't think Vince McMahon has any interest whatsoever in having independent wrestling on his network. Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? You can imagine he, he has, in the footage and going, yeah, the fuck is this shit? Exactly. Exactly. He's been, he's been he's been scornful of independent wrestling for his whole life. You know what I mean? Like it's always referred to in disparaging terms as bingo hall wrestling and all this kind of thing. You know what I mean? So that there is no hunger on their part to put this stuff on on the network. And unless something happens, the only the only way that they take big decisions is when something happens to force their hand. You know, this whole thing came about because the world of sport got on terrestrial TV in the UK and, and they were forced to do it. They only r- ran an NXT UK takeover there a few months ago because New Japan forced their hand by, you know, they felt they needed to compete with them and run a show the same day as them. They only work in reactive ways. And the only way those shows will ever end up on the network is if something happens where they feel like they're forced to do it. So I like, I, and I don't think I just, you know, we've been, we've heard about it so many times that I, it just all washes over me at this stage. And I'm almost tired of wringing my hands about it. And I, what I'm really tired about is complaining about it. You know, I feel like all we do is come on this podcast and the, the, the talk inevitably turns to NXT UK and how bad it is. And everything possible to be said about it has been said at this stage. You know, we're all annoyed about it. We're all angry, but there's no new angle to take on it anymore. And there's nothing new to be said about it. You know what I mean? And, and things will front lawn as they are for another year i think i know james i'm really sorry but um on to another WWE <laughs> affiliate <laughs> brilliant what a segue what a segue <laughs> oh God, we get to talk about the iron god now let's uh let's, oh, let's all cheer up good, good it's, things, uh, it's definitely benno's favorite time of the year on uh, on the show <laughs> The small matter of uh, ICW's fur and loathing 12. And uh, I mean, obviously, ICW used to be, well, I mean, they were the first sort of like British promotion in this new era to start running arenas and certainly the first to have a big boom in popularity using, you know, mainly homegrown Scottish talent. Uh, they had the BBC making documentaries about them, pulled around 4,000 to the SECC arena for fur and loathing 8. And then followed by around 6,000 a year later at the even bigger Hydro Arena in Glasgow. Uh, and then they ran the Hydro for another two more years for fear and loathing to uh, dwindling crowds. I mean, they even started relying on former WWE stars such as Kevin Nash to try and pull a crowd, uh, which didn't quite work out for them. But, uh, I mean, for, the, for this year's event, they actually moved it to the SWG3 venue in Glasgow, which... Uh, Holds a few thousand and, and even expanded the show to two nights. And, and from watching this on VOD, it seemed to be a pretty decent crowd for, for the venue that they were running, but a far, far cry from uh, a few years ago in that Grado and Drew Galloway uh, main event they held at the SECC. Yeah. Big main event on night two was uh, Joe Coffey challenging for the ICW Championship uh, against Stevie Boy. Uh, Coffee is obviously quite prominent on NXT UK and was making a, a bit of a return to his original company here. And and as far as this uh, the main event match goes, I mean, it was your typical ICW main event, all the bells and whistles thrown in. I mean, if you've seen a few ICW main events by now, you know exactly how it went. And uh, <laughs> Stevie Boy retained the belt. I mean, I just, just want to jump in there. I mean, I was a, a, a big fan of ICW back when Grado ran for Drew Galloway's title back in 2015, but 
they, they really haven't changed that much in the past few years. Mm. It's the same roster of wrestlers having the same matches that we've seen before. I mean, might get some flack for being so down on the company, but the proof's there. I mean, there's dwindling interest from the home country supporters who, who seem to uh, go out and support them no matter what, but it seems to be dwindling and dwindling month by month and year by year, Bennett. Look, mate, it's crap. And it was always crap. (laughs) (laughs) The difference between ICW and Progress is at least Progress was good once. And like, you know, you asked before we were talking about Progress, you know, was this always coming? Was it always, you know, the boom wasn't going to last forever. The thing with Progress is kind of that boom died, I think, artificially. I think the the NXT UK stuff and just the general eye off the ball. We could have had another couple of good years of of peak progress and it's outside factors and the owners getting other jobs and all that good stuff that's that's came and and changed that dynamic. The thing with ICW, I do, I think they're... There's a lot of the same factors, you know, the WWE interest, the threat of them turning up on the network. You know, they lost stars over the years. They lost Drew Galloway, you know, who was a big star for them. They lost Grado, got him back, lost him again, got him back again. You know, there's a lot of that stuff and a lot of their talent inexplicably has been signed to WWE contracts. You know, half of that bearded, nomad, generic dude roster on NXT UK seems to be begged and borrowed from ICW. But I think with them, they had their boom. They, you know, it's not for me at all. You know, I've never liked it. (laughs) I've never been a fan of the product. But there was a Scottish audience primarily who were into it, who were buying tickets like Wildfire, you know, and a lot of their big, big shows, they had big fines. They had your Kurt Angles and the like helping drive those ticket sales. But, you know, there's no doubt that ICW was huge at one point, uh, at least in, you know, that part of uh, the United Kingdom. But I think with them, I think it's just been the same, the same feuds with different generic bearded dudes on different sides of the aisle dressed in black uh actually there are a few lads on this on this card dressed in white so maybe i can't uh, can't throw that that about too much but you know you know yeah the feuds over ownership of the company and the stable wars and the endless stuff like that and it to me it's no surprise that now for their biggest show of the year they're doing seven under the night uh compared to what they were they were doing you know for for some of their really really big record breaking shows and I think, yeah, with them, there's definitely, definitely other, you know, the, the WWE stuff is something of a factor. But I just think it's the overall quality, the attitude era, like ECW-like booking of the promotion, all of the worst traits of those two eras, you're going to, you know, you're going to burn out at some point. And yeah, I think now they're kind of similar to Progress in a bit of a holding pattern. And I think unlike Progress, which I think John Briley is going to keep running until he's a, as long as they're making a penny profit a year, I think Progress is always going to exist. ICW feels like it's in a holding pattern for the WWE Network. They're starting to run PG family-friendly shows, aren't they? That's got to have maybe one eye on that. And as you said, Martin, some of their uh, videos have been showing up uh, locked away on the network as well. So for me, I think, again, while it's been a a lot by you know the WWE presence like with ICW it's kind of I think a, a big reason for their downfall is it's just the, the sameness of the product and yeah it's just I do either of you know any ICW fans anymore I don't know anybody who praises ICW I couldn't no. I even did a search on my Twitter channel you people you follow and the hashtag for fear and loathing and I think I found one guy tweeting about it and that was it uh, it's just it's just not really a factor in Brit Res right now but 
yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of things that that go into that. I've got no idea if that answers your question, Martin, but I feel well, better. Must, I mean, <laughs> Joe Coffee. I think he was the only sort of ICW guy. To make, oh, and um, Mikey Whiplash. They had him as Michael Gilbert for a while, didn't they? But so you've got and Triple H obviously turned up at the ICW, and so you've got to think that he's the him and Regal are the ones behind, you know. Um, the ICW guys being all over NXT UK and, and things like that. So obviously, Progress didn't really show that much interest in having any of them on the, any of the shows, did they? Mm, no, it always feels like I think I think Jim Smallman's the head booker at uh, at uh, NXT UK. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. I almost feel like it's like okay, we've got to give something to placate this yeah. huge Scottish wrestling scene, and that's the reason you see so many of them on the shows. I, I haven't really got another answer for it unless you have Jamesy. <laughs> Not really, no. And I'd like to just go back to what you were saying, Benno, and even the conversation we had prior to talking about ICW. Like, there would definitely have been an element of, like, we always say, world of sport was the thing that triggered this whole WWE move, you know, to take over the UK Indies and that kind of thing. But, like, there's no way that WWE weren't looking at those numbers that they were doing. Like, a promotion doing six to seven thousand. Oh yeah, they don't. They don't want that happening either. You know what I mean? And they're looking at that. And like seeing those kind of shows draw those numbers would have spooked them a lot as well. You know what I mean? So, yes, while, you know, the, the world of sporting was a big reason, just those numbers alone happening in Scotland, I think it, it would have gotten Triple H's attention an awful lot. You know what I mean? And that would definitely have been a kind of a, a, a reason for them to come over and, and try and basically kill it off. You know what I mean? And, like you know, what a job has been done of it. You know what I mean? To, to go from 6,000. In 2016, I think it was, three years later, we're down to 700 over two nights. You know what I mean? Like, that's a drop of something like 80% in attendance. You know what I mean? And like you could say two, two nights of 700 in the current climate is reasonably healthy in its own right. But look back three years ago and look what they were doing. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, like, and I echo everything Benno said. Like, I, I do think the whole car crash TV type of wrestling that they do, it's not the type of wrestling that endures. Like like the, the Attitude Era itself, how long did that actually last? The one in, <laughs> yeah. in WWE, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah. yeah, like what was it, maybe 98 to 2001 or 97 to 2000? So and it was like gone. The, the, the rest boom, man. Three years. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well the, IC, the ICW boom was, you know, that, that, that's what ICW had as well, a kind of a good three-year run where they were doing big crowds. And it's gone now, you know what I mean? And it had a shelf life, you know what I mean? And again, they're just limping along, like you guys said, you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, I, I was looking, you know, when we decided we were going to review this, I was looking at, at cage match and looking at the matches that were on the card. Like, and it's, it's grim reading, like, you know what I mean? It's, it's you know, it's a hodgepodge of Scottish names that I, I, I would freely admit I have no idea about a few, a few NXT UK guys thrown in there, Sammy Callahan, And then like they're booking the likes of Kings of the North, from over here, who, 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 let's quite frankly, can't get booked anywhere else. You know what I mean? And Alexander Dean from Ireland, who can't even get booked in OTT. You know what I mean? So <laughs> that's the level of people that they're bringing in. You know what I mean? And it's it's just, you know, you look at it and you kind of think how the mighty have fallen more than anything, you know? Yeah, I mean, I mean, what do your actual thoughts? I mean, obviously, me and Benno have discussed ICW on the show a number of times before, but what were your thoughts of the, the main event, James? I'd be interested to know. <laughs> to be honest... I liked it more than I thought I would. 
Um, let's be positive. Review. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is a low bar, I will admit. But I'll give them credit. The first thing, the, the thing we were banging on about earlier, about a, a video recap and that kind of thing. Like, I have no idea what, the, like, going into this review, I had no idea what the issue between Stevie Boy and Joe Coffey was or what the feud was around. They did air a nice little video package before the match, which kind of broke it all down and explained to you what was going on between them. Um, so credit for that. Um, I quite enjoyed the match itself. You know, I, I, I did kind of think, apart from all the messing at the start, like they, they, for people who didn't watch, which is probably most of the people listening, let's be honest, uh, they, they did an angle at the start of the match where Stevie Boy kind of hit a bicycle knee on Coffee, and it looked like Coffee was out cold. And they carried them to the back and everybody thought the match was over and blah, blah, blah and all this. And then, of course, Coffee comes back out and he was only pretending to be like it was all a bit weird. He comes back out saying, ah, I was only pretending to be knocked out cold. And this time he's out wearing his gala gear. So it's the kind of they're falling back on the whole let's use NXT as the heels kind of a thing. You know what I mean? And it was all designed to kind of get Coffee over as the heel and get Stevie by over as the big baby face in the match and that kind of thing. And I found it bizarre and baffling because usually if you have somebody carried to the back it makes them the baby face and it puts sympathy on them. And then, (laughs) you know, when, when Mick Foley fights to get off a stretcher he gets the biggest pop in hell in the cell because he's, you know, he's been destroyed and he's still willing to fight. You know what I mean? And yet they, they use the same situation here to turn a guy heel and it all just felt a bit forced and a bit weird and a bit confusing but I did like the match there was a little bit of leg work in it and limb work which I'll always enjoy you know that that was that was something that I never thought I'd see on an ICW main event to be honest um, you know they did the whole gimmick at the end of the match where the ring boards were exposed but then like it kind of didn't play that much into the finish even it was like they, they pulled back the ring boards and they didn't do an awful lot with it Um so, yeah, it was a good enough match, you know, in its own right. You know, I enjoyed when he worked the leg and I thought the selling of the leg was quite good and that kind of thing. That angle did work in getting Stevie Boy over more as a face. And I guess, again, if you're going to use NXT talent on your show, then using them to get over your local talent is a good idea. You know, so, um, you know, I'm not going to sit here and bury that main event. I thought it was reasonably good, um, which is way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Put that on the poster. it is your next funny show better than I ever thought it was going to be (laughs) Uh, well I watched the majority of the show I don't know why it's it's funny I always blame you Martin public Martin made us watch ICW again but I think I'm a glutton for punishment I'm just you did this to yourself I did I did in the group chat I was the one pushing it I just, it's, a, it's a social experience. Oh, JP watches everything as well on the bus, on the train. Uh, maybe I'll just take it after him. But we went from, yeah, we, was, we were just going to review the main event, weren't we? And I think maybe I was just, I was a little bit bored in work and I started flicking through the rest of the show. I mean, the main event, yeah, I mean, it was a match. It was, I thought it was just a bit slow, really. Joe Coffey's just boringly professional for me. And I know he's, that's some people's cup of tea, you know, is very, very slow leg work, but it's not for me. Um, Fair enough, they've done a job with Stevie Boy and and got him over to to a point with this crowd, but didn't do a huge amount for me. And yeah, the majority of the card didn't really, you know, Ilya Dragunov was on this show show against Kez Evans, who's someone I've, I've, I've not really seen much, hype about or hear much about again it was a match you know they they, they put the Kaz Evans over with a low blow to win which was 
great. You know, they, they were building it as like, a, oh, this is like, you know, he's our young athlete against Silja, who's like this world-class guy. And then it has to end with ICW shenanigans because, of course, it does. There was a glimmer of hope with Scotty Davis being on the card against Justin Rees. And in fairness, I kind of like the, uh, the Justin Rees character, the quintessential athlete he's playing. Like, they were playing it up on commentary that he's uh, apparently recently opened up a little. Um, like he's this big local star, uh, and that he's he, he goes around the ring in his pristine white tracksuit, shaking hands with uh, with everybody in the front row. It's quite of an interesting gimmick for a wrestler who's not always the most interesting. So I kind of like that. And they, but then they went got in the ring and they did you know speaking of Bruce Richard coats and and then the bell rang and it was just a size different match with Scotty Davis just. Bit really getting thrown around the ring, and he got a, a little bit of hope uh, in there, but it turned out to be a really, really basic win uh, for a reason. The commentary even said you can count to one hundred on that one, and you know Scotty Davis was one of the the bright upcoming you know stars in wrestling so i certainly wouldn't have done that with him there was a tag team king of insanity hardcore match that the one person i follow on twitter who talks about icw was putting over big again this was the match with the lads in beards in white uh maybe because it's a, a <laughs> style match yeah, doing the, uh, the jimmy havoc thing and the biggest note i have from that was that they did uh you know like uh the uh, John Mox, the Kenny Omega match where they had the board with the mouse traps on, and it was kind of, kind of in, in, ineffective compared to the rest of the violence in that match. In this one, they had the cut in half monster energy energy drink cans uh, that look really, really dangerous uh, out there in the ring. Interesting weapon. Uh, they even used uh, carpet clips that uh, anybody uh, who's put a carpet down knows that'll hurt. Uh, so it was interesting, at least from a purely violence point of view, but I can't see any of the, the four men in the match really did much for me. And to be honest, the best thing on the show was the real life moment when, you know, I wouldn't normally say the best moments on a show is when Mark Dallas walks out with a microphone, but he walked out and him and Jack Jester did a bit of a, a heartfelt tribute to Lionheart, which was really nice. You know, the people in the in the crowd seem to really appreciate it. And, you know, obviously he's very, very missed from the from the Scottish scene. So, you know, that little bit of of real life was maybe, you know, the the, the positive that maybe I could take from this show really as a whole because yeah I try my best to, to, to watch this undercard and give ICW another chance I didn't even do a Pollock I watched this on one time speed <laughs> uh, didn't speed it up uh, and still yeah it, it just I don't think ICW's ever been for me and uh, especially not this uh, this version of ICW as they hurtle very very slowly uh, towards whatever WWE Network deal they're going to hope and they're probably going to eventually get when uh, Mark Dallas can cash in his chips and probably walk away at that point. They should have put iron brew cans on that board instead of monster. Yeah. That was a that was a, <laughs> that was a, a missed opportunity to it's kind of put a more Scottish Scottish spin on it. Wouldn't have been Scottish. Sorry, Scotland. By the way. <laughs> Well, there you go, Benno. The next time I suggest uh, an ICW show through you, you can use a chewed up uh, monster can. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never do that to you, man. <laughs> well, it sounds like you enjoy these more than I do. I mean, watching the full thing. But anyway, moving away from uh, ICW hey, onto uh, <laughs> and onto Red Pro. I mean, we discussed on the show a couple of episodes ago how. Southside Wrestling has folded into Revolution Pro and the Red Pro are going to be running the quote-unquote Southside Towns with assistance from the Southside crew running them. And uh, the first event was this past weekend at the Corporation Nightclub in Sheffield. And uh, 
I managed to head down to the evening show, which was entitled New Beginnings. Uh, venue isn't quite in the club itself. It's a sort of old warehouse around the back of the club that they've sort of refurbed and they hire it out for various things now. It's got a real sort of like old school ECW feel about it. And uh, it's a mix of sort of South Side names with, uh, mixed in with Red Pro names. Uh, some of the South Side belts were being defended on the show. And, uh, but I say the main highlight from the first portion of the show was a really good match between Robbie X and Darius Lockhart. Uh, two of them have obviously got a massive clash in styles, but I, I felt it really worked for them. It, you know, they got quite an, a fair amount of time. Um, Lockhart was keeping Robbie X grounded for the majority of the match before he managed to uh, get up and do all his trademark flying moves. And uh, Robbie picked up the win here. And Lockhart, someone who's sort of been out all over the UK quite a lot this past year, um, he's obviously from the US originally. But um, James, is, is he someone that you've managed to uh, see? So you certainly got a, a very interesting gimmick. I do. I like him. Yeah, I saw him on some. Yeah, God, what was it? I was watching something. I think it was there was a PWX tournament, and I can't remember the match he was in. It was really, really good. Was it maybe someone like Slim J or someone like that? I know there's another ROH reference for you, but like he's he's or maybe it was against Freddie Ahi or someone like that. But yeah, Lockhart is really good, and he's he's one of those guys who's kind of not broken out in the US and has decided maybe to come to the UK and try his hand over here. Like, And if you look at the likes of an El Fantasmo and other people like him who've done that, like it's it, the, the UK scene is still, there's enough happening in it and there's enough shows happening and there's enough people to work with still that a guy can kind of make his name over here and improve. And um, I'm glad to see, you know, we, we've criticised RevPro a lot for kind of, not scouting talent and for not booking people and that kind of thing. And I'm glad to see them kind of using a guy like him. And I've seen his name pop up on a few cockpit shows and that kind of thing as well lately. So glad to see them using him and a guy who could be a real asset as well. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's hard to find fresh independent talent at the moment. Um, so yeah, great. Good, good. Delighted to hear that he was on the show and delighted to hear he did well as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely enjoyed that match from the first off. And uh, another highlight from the first off was Kyle Fletcher, who faced off against uh, Shota Amino. Uh, Shota's obviously on his UK excursion over here, and then this was his debut match in the country. He even came out in some flashy new gear, and a uh, pretty short match from the two. Uh, Fletcher won it, uh, which was a pretty decent match. Um, I mean, moving into the second half, we had uh, Shauna against Madison Miles. Uh, no mention whatsoever on the advertising of Shauna now being in AEW, but she's been with Southside for uh, a good few years now, so got a really good reception from the crowd. Obviously, they know from the previous corporation shows. Uh, a bit weird, though, after they both came out, that she then cut a fairly heelish promo on Miles on the mic, which was a bit weird, considering she come out to a big uh, babyface salvation. Uh, I'd not heard of uh, Madison Miles before. Seems she's been uh, looking her up on cage match. Seems she's been wrestling for a couple of years now, and he's from uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. Uh, so, I mean, Red Pro must be seeing something in her. She won their uh, Queen of the Ring tournament earlier in the day. So, interesting what they do with her moving forward. And then the main event was the new faction of the Legion, Great O'Connor and Rampage Brown beating Dan McGee and uh, Curtis Chapman. A decent enough match seemed to go by pretty quickly and uh, the new uh, tag team Red Pro champions, uh, Rampage and O'Connor, picked up the, the win in that one. Uh, I mean, it's great to see Chapman now with his full heel uh, character in Red Pro. And 
I mean, all in all, I, I enjoyed the show and uh, there were definitely some uh, good matches on here. The main thing that, for me, let the show down was the crowd. I mean, I'm not going to pretend that Southside were drawing huge numbers at this venue, but from the events I went to that they were running to this, uh, I'd say it was uh, quite a few less than what Southside would normally pull. I'd say it's a generous 70 people there. I mean, other than Shauna's entrance and a few other sort of like little moments, there was no atmosphere at all. I mean, you could hear the aircon for the entire show and it must have been like pulling teeth for the wrestlers. I mean, they were desperately trying to rile this crowd up to sort of like no avail. Uh, which is, it's always a huge shame when you go to a show like that, especially when the in-ring works uh, is sort of like, is really good. Um, I wouldn't even imagine that this was a break even for Ed Pro, but I mean, we've seen before, especially with this show we've in Southampton, that they're a company willing to you know, try and build an audience rather than bolting at the first third one. And obviously, I mean, this isn't a big town south side either. Their big shows are more in sort of Stevenage and St. Neat. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes for me. I mean, Andy Quilden, I mean, I didn't see him around. He didn't seem to be there. So I think it's sort of Ben Old, the former south side promoter, seems to be doing all the show running. Um, I mean, Benno, do you think um, this relationship will, will uh, last for sort of long if they're uh, not doing well with the shows, uh, especially in Sheffield? Yeah, I mean, I hope it does because this is closer to home for me. And, you know, I think me, I wasn't going to be able to make it this weekend anyway, but anyone further afield like me probably wouldn't have made it anyway with the weather. I think that obviously, I think uh, I think that there were scare stories in the days running up to it, weren't there? That, like you said, that, that, that people you've maybe thought they couldn't, they wouldn't be able to get their full stop, so didn't travel. I would expect if, you know, all things were equal, they would have done better than the 70 the odd, but, you know, how much better is anybody's question? Yeah, it's one of those things that's going to take time. I mean, RevPro waste so much time and resource and energy of running these, you know, pissant buildings down south just because they happen to be near Andy Q's house and they do audiences of 100 to 200 at best um, with really bad atmospheres. And it kind of dilutes the RevPro brand. And I worry that for the positive of a more northern presence might bring, how long were we screaming that, you know, progress aren't running much in manchester for example rev pro need to get in there uh they've been a couple of times so that's good and you know sheffield is, is another good you know place to go but they are diluting what rev pro is a little bit it's kind of like there's one rev pro that's the cockpit there's one rev pro that's your call and then there's these other mini rev pros that seem to be doing shows in in odd places around the country and this seems like it feels like now it's made like fall into that latter category i mean the show itself sounds fun it sounds like you know yourself and the other people i know over there sound like they had a had a good time but i can't imagine it's going to come across particularly well on vod with the with the lack of uh lack of people there and maybe lack of atmosphere too and yeah it's it's something that maybe i was feeling quite positive on RevPro doing and branching out that's got me thinking oh be careful a bit lads don't stretch yourselves uh too thin there and obviously they've taken it sounds like you know the the olds and, and other people on payroll to help put these shows together but i really hope it doesn't blow up in rev bro's face because they've they've not had the best year as it is it seems like they're maybe financially kind of stretched as it is if you believe some of the stories out there you know they did the cockpit show last week that that, that didn't sell out that that mm-hmm. you know and the cockpit can only hold what less than 200 people 
things are kind of weird with Rev Pro right now. Um, and yeah, this is, you know, this is maybe another headache that perhaps they, they didn't need. Uh, I wonder if they were hoping they'd just walk in and they'd be doing the hundreds of people that it, it sounds like Southside have uh, done in the, uh, in the Corp in Sheffield in the past. Yeah, I mean, for all the sort of stuff we throw at Progress, I mean, they, you know, they oh, come from North, yeah. don't they? And they're, and they're, you know, easily oh. sort of like filling venues. And it, it just seems to be that, I mean, obviously it's no big hot take or anything, but it just seems to be that, you know, uh, sort of like less, more sort of casual fans will go to a show if it sort of looks interesting to them rather than just going to every show that a, a big promotion put on. They'll just kind of go, well, uh, nobody I've really heard of on this show, so I can't be asked going to it, which would be sort of different if it was a progress show in the North, wouldn't it, I think? Mm. Oh, definitely, yeah. I think progress have got a, you know, for the faults, and when we point them out pretty much in every show we talk about progress, they have got a loyal fan base that will come out. And yeah, I can't, can you imagine a progress show in Sheffield doing 70 people? It wouldn't happen. It would, you know, I've been, we went to a show where it almost got snowed out, didn't we, Martin, in Sheffield? I've been to a couple of shows up there where the... Where the, where the weather's not been the, the greatest and they're still doing in the hundreds. I think that maybe speaks to, yeah, the power of the brand progress has and then maybe lack of brand that, that Red Pro have got. And, um, and moving away from Red Pro and, um, and on to AEW and NXT, because obviously there's been a fair bit of European representation um, as the two companies have gone head-to-head on Wednesday nights. So Tyler Bate had a good match, Cameron Grimes, the other week, but I mean, all that news really paled in comparison, didn't it, to the story that came out from AEW Full Gear weekend as a Jimmy Havoc allegedly getting into a drunken fight with a commentator at Excalibur, a, a seafood buffet of all places. Uh, I, mean, I mean, allegedly this result with Excalibur getting Jimmy in a chokehold, Havoc even threw his phone at the wall. Uh, apparently the whole AEW crew were there to celebrate Tony Schiavone's birthday. I mean, I mean that, that's a memorable birthday for him, causing brawls and everything. Um, I mean, Tony Khan seemingly laughed this stuff off, hasn't he? But I mean, Havoc's not going to be lasting long for AEW if this sort of stuff carries on, is it really, James? No, and like, it, it, it's funny. And like, it, it has been great fun on Twitter the last few days, all the jokes going around, you know, Jim Cornette being fooled into thinking that um, a photograph of Phil Mitchell was actually Excalibur with his mask off. And that was the reason, and that was the reason for the fight, which, which uh, it's the only sad thing about that is that it hadn't happened before uh, the Grapple podcast was recorded this week. Because <laughs> if ever, if ever there was a Joe Lemon uh, news item that, that he could have done at least half an hour on it was that but um yeah like uh, Steve McFadden who obviously plays Phil Mitchell some kind of fat oaf or something like that <laughs> yeah, yeah. middle aged balding oaf or something like that yeah exactly and like you know it, it's funny and we laugh about it but also like you have to say like what an idiot Jimmy Havoc is you know what I mean like to my mind he is damn lucky to have that job at AEW you know what I mean like if I was a, a person who was recommending UK talent to AEW to put on television, Jimmy Havoc would be way down the list of people. You know what I mean? I I, I don't feel like he's a TV talent. I feel like he has come across extremely poorly on any opportunity he's had so far on TV. He doesn't look like a TV act. He doesn't come across like a superstar. He comes across like a geek. He just doesn't look the part. Um, You know, for all the talk of him being a a hardcore wrestler and a deathmatch guy. He doesn't do anything in his matches. He he takes as few bumps as possible. And if you're going to make your name as one of those guys, 
And if you're in a promotion with guys like Janela and Darby Allen and even Moxley and even Kenny Omega taking insane bumps, if you're the guy who's made his name on taking insane bumps and you're not doing that kind of stuff, then what's the point in having you around? You know what I mean? So you have a guy who's lucky to have the job, who should be counting his lucky stars, that he has this really good contract with this hot company. And then he's going out doing stupid stuff like this. You know what I mean? And like, if a 19, 20-year-old did that, you know, got pissed drunk at a work do, you know what I mean? And made a fool of himself, you'd kind of say, you know what? He's young and inexperienced. At his age, like with, you know, as I said, being as lucky as he is to have this contract, he should know better than to be doing stupid stuff like this. You know what I mean? And like, you know, if you look through their roster and you were thinking about letting people go, he'd probably just based on his performances so far, he'd be with one of the first people you'd let go. And like, you're giving them the rope to hang yourself with. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So like, he should cop himself on and act his age, if you ask me. You know what I mean? Like, just to be, and like, you know, he has, he's a guy who has gotten by on his aura for many, many years. You know, the, the only thing that Jimmy Havoc has left really is his aura. You know, his ring entrance is still pretty impressive. When he comes out with the gear on, it's still quite impressive. Um, and then he wrestles and all that goes away, I suppose. But like, you're killing your own aura when, when Excalibur, who is, Excalibur <laughs> is a, a skinny nerd in a mask, like, you know what I mean? A nerd like us who watches, joshy wrestling and obscure mexican luchador and all that kind of thing you know what i mean the biggest nerd in the wrestling business and when he's choking you out you know what i mean and like think about the next time jimmy have a cuts a promo on aew tv uh-huh. and he's going to cut one of his sinister promos and you know about uh, putting his character over as this evil guy and all this kind of thing and then you're going to have to cut to excalibur who's going to have to keep a straight face and kind of talk him up as being the sinister guy when we all know he choked him out in a seafood restaurant you know what i mean it's just it's just ridiculous and, and like yes it's funny but also it's really stupid on his behalf i think more than anything yeah uh, that's yeah just jimmy havoc he's borrowed a living here he's He's exactly. living off yeah. his 2015 progress glory and he's managed to get himself a contract with AEW. You'd just be on your best behavior at that point, wouldn't you? And hope nobody notices Absolutely. how close you are. Yeah. Like he's exactly. just. It's <laughs> the last man who should be causing trouble. <laughs> and the thing is, like, what'll happen is he'll be the first man that gets sacked and he'll be at pubs across the country and bars across the country at wrestling shows telling the story of how he was the first man oh. to be sacked by AEW. So he'll live off that for another five years yeah. as well. Um, and another point is, you mentioned Excalibur as well. Are we a hundred percent sure he's not really Phil Mitchell? Are we sure it's not Steve McFadden <laughs> on the mask? It would make so much sense. Yeah. Well, you know, Ross Kemp had the on gangs thing going on, so he's been busy. He's a hearty boy, oh yeah. What's Steve McFadden had to do with it in EastEnders? You know, it's it's very possible that the one on the same. Maybe maybe we're all throwing Jim Cornette under the bus far too soon. Hey, give him uh, he's uh, in the lucrative pantomime market now. Like you know. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, big star. Uh, but yeah, I've got, you've got to love Excalibur giving a uh, Sin Cara a run for his money as the best shooter in a mask, as I thought so. Uh, I'll make Barry Murphy point out. Uh, but yeah, cr- crazy story, but so very Jimmy Havoc in, uh, in 2019. And to be honest, very Jim Cornette as well to, to, to make that mistake too. Uh, credit to uh, it's Ian Stewart. He's uh, a posters of the old UK fan forum, will know him well, who, uh, who put that tweet out and fooled poor Jim. Apparently, yeah. Uh, Corny's blocked him on Twitter now, despite the fact that Ian just posted that innocently, didn't tag Corny in it. He stumbled across it himself and made his own mistake. feel like there should be justice for Ian here for that uh, fantastic tweet that he put out. And uh, I suppose something 
sort of like more on the serious lines. Um, how have the numbers for, uh, have we got any more new numbers for uh, AEW on ITV over here on that? I'm assuming they're uh, sort of like download numbers that you might have. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to, you know, as ears will be burning again, but uh, our good friend Ian Havoc on the backbody.com sourced these from Thinkbox. Uh, he didn't have a great week for the uh, the Halloween uh, episode, which is the last one we've got numbers for. Uh, this was on the 1st of November it aired over here. Um, it drew 77,000 viewers, 35,000 of which were live, five were same-day VOD, uh, and 38,000 of them were VOD after the fact. Uh, just to put that into into perspective, the previous week did 167,000. So I don't know if everybody was too busy bobbling for apples or, you know, with the, the Halloween syrup. Kenny, Kenny Omega's pod. Yeah, maybe it's it's Kenny Omega being the world's biggest nerd. <laughs> exactly. Listen to my other podcast for that rant. I've done enough rants for one. But something's happened there. I mean, it, it could just be, you know, a one-week blip. But yeah, they were doing very well, you know, in overall placements uh, as far as uh, the AEW Dynamite runs go, at least, you know, very well considering maybe expectations for a show of that type at, a, at the time that they've been airing it. Uh, but yeah, a bad week for them uh, and a bad week in the US as well. Um, you'd like to think you know, going in, going into the pay-per-view, although it didn't happen in the US, maybe when we get those numbers, they'll be a bit better. And certainly coming out of the big pay-per-view this last weekend, you'd think there'd be more eyeballs and more interest on AEW. But I don't know, maybe maybe they do need to uh, maybe put more Jimmy Havoc on the TV. Maybe that piece mm-hmm. bring some people in. Maybe actually put Steve McFadden on there. Maybe that would uh, draw a rating. Um, so, yeah, but, but of minor concern. But I do, I, I would expect it to go back to the, to the normal going forward. Can you imagine him coming the- out as a Havoc's manager? That would be fantastic. It would be the perfect end to the story. It would be perfect. The other, the other thing as well on ITV is I, I, I don't use it, but but I, I see every week people in the UK in particular complaining about the ITV hub. Like it's oh, it's supposed to be up. It's supposed to be up there on the Thursday evening, and like it was promised to be up every week by seven p.m. And is it seven p.m. I think yeah, on the Thursday gave, evening? Gave up with that after the first week, James. Yeah, yeah. Week, it was like, it'll be up before ten p.m. Yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 just people have stopped complaining because I think people I think people actually have just stopped relying on it and and have just found other means of of watching it now at this stage because there was uproar about it the first few weeks and it hasn't been any quicker because I did a quick. Twitter search of ITB Hub AEW there the other day, and like that there's still the odd person at 10 p.m. of a of a Thursday evening tweeting at ITV saying like where is AEW but like they're just shooting themselves in the foot because people will look elsewhere and, and like people if, if they want to find it in other places that are let's not say completely legal they can find it at 9 a.m. if they want you know. Mm. Yeah, it will be interesting to see obviously if ITV are doing. Uh... Decent money off those pay-per-views and how long their interest will be in AEW and maybe they might, you know, rethink uh, where they're airing it and things. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with the ITV relationship over here. I mean, certainly you'd think there'd be uh, AEW would want to run a big show over here while they still have got the relationship with ITV. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with that one. And um, we're moving on because uh, Andy Ogden's back for his latest edition of Going Undergraps to talk some of the less-known promotions around the UK. I mean, this time he's he's around to tell us about the latest events from Future Shock, PCW, where Eve making their debut in Manchester and in a complete change from the norm, he went to the WWE Raw and SmackDown tapings from Manchester this past Friday. 
Hello and welcome everyone once again to Going Under Graps. This is Andy Ogden of Graps and Claps Audio. we quite the bumper edition of what has been going down in the underbelly of British wrestling. Plus a side swerve into WWE's double taping in Manchester that took place recently. Involving some of the UK's own from NXT UK. And the one minute debut of the Future Shot Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. First of all though... Let's start with Pro Wrestling Eve's debut show in Manchester, which took place at the Fairfield Social Club, which generally is home to Future Shot Wrestling, but it's firmly becoming a go-to venue for many promotions in the UK. Uh, Eve, who were on the road to the She Won tournament, which Millie McKenzie won this past weekend, offered up a total of eight matches involving a mix of AEW and NXT UK stars mixed in with the regulars. Most... Notable matches on this evening included the Walt Queens team of Debbie Keitel and Valkyrie defeating Viper and Jetta in the main event. And what was possibly the best two matches of the evening, we had Kanji defeating one of the top contenders in the promotion in the form of Little Miss Roxy. Sadly though for Kanji, she's now sidelined with a long-term injury, which will no doubt halt her rapid progress on the scene. Uh, the other standing out match was the first half main event with Laura Di Matteo, who has made a much better impression in the Eve promotion compared to her time in progress. Laura's opponent on this evening was NXT UK's own Killer Kelly. Kelly, who hasn't really had the chance to shine in the Fed, showed in this match the uh, promise that she initially showed in WXW. Unfortunately, though, for Kelly, she got put away with a tombstone from Laura in a very strong match. Overall, Eve drew around 100 people to a show in a new city, uh, which is encouraging and it does look like they will be returning in 2020. Preston City Wrestling, PCW, held their annual Fright Night show at the end of October, with the focus being on the near year-long storyline between PCW and the evil faction of the buyout led by Shake L. Sham. The buyout at the end of the end of August won a ten man tag team match where they wrested control of the promotion away from head honcho of PCW Stephen Flooder. And in a continuation of the storyline we had Shake El Sham facing the PCW champion Joey Hayes to hopefully add the championship to his ownership of the company. As the match was building to a crescendo though we had Stephen Flooder come out to hit the shake with a chair from behind to help Joey win the match. In a chaotic main event, what this has now led to is a match at PCW's Festive Fury show on the 7th of December where Stephen Flooder will be facing Shake El Sham in which if Flooder wins, he gets back ownership of the company he lost four months ago. If the Shake wins, though, Flooder will have to leave Preston as terms of the contract signed for the match. We will hopefully bring you news of the outcome of this match in the next edition of Going Undergraps. Future Shot Wrestling returned to the Longfield Suite in Presswich with the focus very much on being on the younger talent with a number of matches involving some of the hottest prospects around in the northwest of England. This included a tag team match involving the Young Guns, Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs, who recently made their debut in Progress Wrestling in a great effort against Pretty Deadly. And they have been setting the scene alight with many people, including myself, tipping them for great things. Their opponents on this evening were a proper big lads team... Um, produced from the Manchester Pro Wrestling Academy in the form of Synergy. In a really good back-and-forth match, uh, with both teams impressing it will be the Guns getting the victory and now moving into a match on Sunday 17th of November against the Grizzled Young Veterans. 
which is Zach Gibson and James Drake in what is sure to be another show-stealing performance uh, from the guns. In the main event of the press switch show, we had Sonny Durson successfully defending the Future Shock Heavyweight and Adrenaline Championships against Henry T. Grodd in a hard-fought contest. After the match, though, Sonny has decided to relinquish the Adrenaline title going forward, which now opens it for someone on the Future Shock roster to take the next step up and grab what has been a pivotal part of Future Shock's success over the last couple of years. Go and check out these two matches on Future Shock's on-demand service. You won't be disappointed. Tidal Wrestling held a doubleheader of shows on Sunday the 28th of October at their regular home of the Temple of Boom in Leeds in front of, in front of um, a usual usual hot crowd. With the first show being their once-a-year no-ropes-style um, show in a subtle take on the Blood, Sport and Ambition shows. One notable match on this show that has grabbed a lot of attention online was the match between Tidal Champion David Graves versus Kevin Lloyd, which can be seen for free on YouTube in a near 20-minute mat wrestling classic, fought in a British rounds um, style. It would it was over six three-minute rounds. It will be Graves who got the win via submission, but nonetheless this had the audience engrossed from the first bell to the last, and it's certainly one you should search out if you're. Uh, a grappling enthusiast. Uh, on the evening show, we had freeway action for both the open weight and women's titles, with resident baddie Rio becoming a double champion as she defeated both Little Miss Roxy and Natalie Sykes, much to the disgust of the crowd. Title wrestling returned on the 29th of November with a mega main event of David Graves defending his title heavyweight title against former champion Rampage Brown. Do not sleep on that one. Schadenfreude and Friends return to the Frog and Bucket Comedy Club in Manchester on the 5th and 6th of November in front of two crowds of 230 each night with tickets selling out in a grand total of four minutes proving it to be the hottest ticket in Brit Rest at the moment. Naturally with these shows it is based around comedy wrestling but with shows, with the shows they also have the obligatory good wrestling match for which on both evenings we weren't disappointed as one on night one we had Carl Fletcher taking on the surprise of New Japan Wrestling's own Zack Sabre Jr. in a losing effort for Kyle, who was defeated with the inside crab pin. I've got to say the pop for um, Zack, Zack's entrance was both unexpected and deafening at the same time. On night two, we had Joe Nelson, who has a bit of a cult following in the Frog and Bucket, taking on David Starr, who was very much a last-minute addition to the show. Uh, I think Kid Lycos said he'd... Um, Said, can I come down to the show at like uh, midday? So, literally about five hours before the show started. In a fantastic underdog versus world superstar match, we had Star hitting Nelson with the handstands and clothesline in a gallant effort by Joe. And, the, and one that has further enhanced Nelson's growing reputation as someone to watch on the scene. From the comedy side of things on night one, we had matches based from the uh, Battle Royale film of the 1980s. Involving four one-on-one matches where you could only win by murder. So lots of like weapons here, including guns, knives, yeah, sieves. Participants included Mark Davis, Tyler Bate, Gene Money, Chief Deputy Dunn, Danny Luna, Aaliyah James, Chris Brooks, and Good Fortune Child, who is a WXW superstar, lucky kid, but with a... Like with a comedy disguise on. 
As the evening wore on and many deaths happened, it would be good fortune child eventually killing Tyler Bates in the main event four-way. Hell in a cellophane match. So basically it was like cling film wrapped all the way around the ring. Yeah. A sight to behold. Uh, so yeah, good fortune child became the ultimate survivor. Utterly joyous daftness all around. Shout and Frodo and Friends promises to return in 2020, which they've announced as the 20th and 21st of January. So, in a couple of months' time, with it being one show that fans can't miss, as none of the shows are on a video on demand service, so you have to be there live to see the um, hilarity. Finally, WWE held a double taping in Manchester this past week, with SmackDown and Raw taking place on the same night, with a few familiar faces from NXT UK. With the appearance of Imperium on SmackDown looking quite strong on there, but before moving on to Raw, where head, where head honcho of the faction Walter took on Seth Rollins in what was a damp squib of a five-minute match before Imperium calls the DQ, turning it into an eight-man tag team match in which they lost to Rollins, the Street Profits and Kevin Owens. So in the level of factions, Imperium certainly came across as a step down from the undisputed era in this whole turning up on different brands thing that WWE are currently doing because of the Survivor Series. We have Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster making a brief appearance, losing to the Viking Raiders in a squash match. Talking of squashes, we also had an appearance from Future Shock Wrestling Heavyweight Champion Sonny Derson who got a good response from the hometown crowd as he was defeated in one minute by Eric Rowan. Despite the defeat, it was good to see someone like Sonny get a chance on the big stage. Expect him coming soon to Enfield. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Say no more, say no more. So there you go for another month. What a pat one it was. As ever, go and search these promotions out online and check out some of the recommendations I've sent your way to see what you think. As ever, you can hear full reviews of all these shows on Graps and Claps Audio, available on all good podcasting networks. You can also follow me at Oggy Part Free on Twitter, O-G-G-Y-P-A-R-T Free. So yeah, until next month, I will bid you farewell. Thanks as always to Andy there and uh... Jamesy, I mean, Walter making a big appearance on Rory with his faction Imperium going up against Seth Rollins. Yeah, and, and we mentioned it earlier um, about WWE making things not feel special. You know what I mean? And, and like, to my mind, Walter is one of, if not the best wrestlers in the world. He's He is a big deal to a lot of people. You know what I mean? He's not a worldwide star. But like, to watch, and like I, I'm not a Raw watcher anymore. I couldn't tell you the last time I've sat through a full three-hour episode of Raw, but I, I specifically sought out the Walter segments on YouTube to, to see how it came across and to see how he came across, you know. And um, like I, I was reading the spoilers as they happened on, I think that this show was recorded on the Friday night before in Manchester. Yeah. And like when I saw it, when I saw it pop up in my timeline that, that Walter's going to wrestle Seth Rollins, even though I'm not the biggest Rollins fan in the world, I was kind of excited because like it, it that that feels fresh and different and just the thought of seeing this guy Walter who we followed on the indies now for quite a number of years 
getting in there with the main roster WWE talent. Like it, it had me actually excited about main roster WWE. And of course I was completely naive and I should have known better because the, the news filtered through minutes later that, that they, that they wrestled for, uh, I think two or three minutes. And in true WWE fashion, Imperium interfered in the match and they turned it into an eight man tag, you know, how cliched and how, how like that, that you're going back 20 years of WWE TV for that kind of thing to be happening. Like, you know what I mean? It's like if one of those bots online just kind of spat out booking, you, you could nearly predict WWE booking at this stage. Like, you know what I mean? And um, Walter didn't feel special. I don't think um, he got a reasonable pop from the crowd when he came out first. Um, the reason the interference happened from Imperium is because Seth Rollins was getting the better of him. You know what I mean? So straight away, he's kind of like the idea was Rollins was Rollins was about to do the curb stomp on him and win the match. And that's why Imperium interfered. So like he was about to lose in three minutes to Seth Rollins. You know what I mean? And I understand Seth Rollins is higher on the food chain to Walter and that kind of thing. But he's still your NXT UK champion. You know what I mean? You still should be giving this guy a little bit more credibility than that. And the eight man tag match was nothing to write home about. And it's just, as I said, they take everything that could be special and they make it so mundane and so boring and so, so not must see, you know what I mean? And it's just, it just makes me so sad to see a guy like him in that environment, to be honest, you know what I mean? When he could be, and we'll talk in a minute about him going elsewhere and doing other things and that kind of thing, where he could be doing so many better things elsewhere with his time, you know? Yeah, they, it's a, it should be a crime that they put Walter on TV. One, they made him talk, which is not a strong suit. Just have him kick no. off. But he has to do yeah. the patented WWE promo. Of course he does. He's a foreigner with a funny accent. And then, like you said, in the match, he's powdering out and running away from Seth freaking Rollins. Seth Rollins. Yeah. yeah, he's certainly not my favorite wrestler right now. And certainly not <laughs> the crowd's favorite wrestler. Did you... I don't know if you noticed, James, you're watching the highlight package, but I'd, I'd read before, so I was keeping an eye out for it because obviously I didn't go because I'm not going to WWE, even when it's, you know, half an hour drive from my front door. I'm not yeah. going to, to watch a WWE Raw SmackDown taping, but that crowd were apparently so, so negative on Seth Rollins, like completely railroaded this promo and the editing job they did on this was yeah. delightful. Like they muted yeah. the crowd and like the, the best bit was like there was a point where Seth Rollins said something and he must have been booed out the building because they cut to the crowd and it's and I've read this online, people saying they saw themselves there. It's yeah. not even the Manchester crowd anymore. It's some random crowd from Raw a couple of weeks ago in America. <laughs> and they're all standing, yeah. Louisiana, yeah, they're all standing on their feet and they're cheering and clapping. And then it cuts back and Seth Rollins in the ring and everyone's sat on the hands. And it's just absolutely brilliant. So credit to our, you know, the, the British fans there who uh, went suffering through this horrific uh, Seth Rollins alleged baby face <laughs> at the moment. They were kind of my highlight of, of these videos because yeah you like you say Jamesy it should be cool seeing Walter on WWE TV yeah. and there was a part of it you know seeing him out there you know Marcel Barthel or whatever his name is now Axel Dieter Jr. walking out you could see him kind of taken in the arena and impression mm-hmm. Yeah. on Raw. There's still something to that because it's, you know, the, the biggest, you know, wrestling TV show uh, in the world. But yeah, when the actual content of it is what it is, you kind of just hope that maybe Walter stays true to his word and, you know, his dreams apparently aren't ended up on Raw and SmackDown and that this was just a one-off and, you know, he can stay where he's best utilised, which is NXT, NXT UK and, you know, God willing, maybe a bit more of the Indies uh, next year and maybe as his contract runs out. 
But it's always been the same. It's always, it's always been the same, though, with sort of like Euro wrestlers. Um, when WWE come over to the UK and do these Raw and Smackdowns, I'm like, oh, we'll uh, sprinkle it out with some of these NXT UK dweebs. Because also, <laughs> like, the Viking Raiders smashed through Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster for, like, no apparent reason. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying you know, the NXT UK guys should be going on there and, you know, beating people and stuff. But was that when... Um, when they had, like, uh, John Devlin and everybody out there, and they, they wheeled them out and made them do oh, these awful promos. Oh, two or five nights. I was that With Enzo Amore. Oh, disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the other thing is, like, it, it, I was thinking about this as well. Do you remember, do you remember in the run-up to, to Devlin Star, they did that sit-down interview with, with David Starr? And he started talking about people getting WWE contracts. Mm-hmm. And he started talking about, you're never making it to WrestleMania. You, you, you know, when these guys get these WWE contracts that there's such big marks for the WWE logo at the top of the contract. And his point was, like, you're never going to get your, your WrestleMania moment. You know what I mean? And yes, you're you're a WWE superstar in name and they pay your wages. But like any ideas that you have that you're that you're going to make it as a main roster guy, like, you know, you're, you'll be lucky if you get on raw and get squashed in three minutes by the Viking Raiders. You know what I mean? And like there was, I even looked on cage match there. Like, like they did a big tour around the UK and Ireland um, after Raw and SmackDown. Like they went to Glasgow, Edinburgh. Um, I think they were, they were in Dublin. They were, and there were a few places in Europe and they didn't even give the NXT UK talent a run out on those shows. So they didn't even get that five minute match on, on the house shows. Like traditionally when, when WWE main roster comes to, Dublin here um, the last few times Jordan has gotten a match I think he was wrestled against Tucker a couple of times and I think he wrestled I can't remember but at least he'd get a kind of a run out and he would get a bit of a pop from the local crowd just because he was announced as being from Ireland you know what I mean but they didn't even get that this time you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so it's like you know yes you're a WWE wrestler but you're not a WWE superstar and you're so far down the food chain you know what I mean that like you know, any aspirations that 90% of that NXT UK roster have of making it in America, like there's not a hope in hell that you're that no. your Mark Andrews and your Flash Morgan Websters and your Joe Coffees. It's not going to happen. You know, your Pete Dunn's and your Tyler Bates and your Walters will probably make it to NXT proper at the very least. But that's about it. You know what I mean? And the rest of them are there for other reasons. And it's to keep them away from companies that might actually use them properly. I think the only one good thing they sort of did is when Pete Dunn came out and smashed uh, Enzo Amore with that forearm. And even that was on 205 Live, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's it. got that big yeah. pop for that. I mean, I honestly, you know, if they're going to do this, like the the guys just getting out there and getting squashed. I mean, it's hardly Andy Boy Simmons getting squashed by Umaga, is it? Like that's that's what. Our, you know what? Who had the better WWE run, Andy Boy Simmons or Tucker? <laughs> I reckon it's Andy Boy Simmons. I really, he's now living his dream, doing one of the best podcasts on the internet with the other Andy. He got his New Japan commentary gig, and he doesn't have to be on NXT UK every week. I think Andy wants really? And he lived his dream, Benno. There you go, yeah. You know he's showing people out on his phone every five minutes still to this day. <laughs> and you've got to appreciate that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I mean, you mentioned it there, uh, James, and you managed to check out uh, what was trip over to Japan for uh, Big Japan Wrestling. Yeah, like, and you talk about a contrast, like, you go from the 
the insipid, overproduced, like sanitized environment of Monday Night Raw. And, you, you know, you see Walter not being used well there and, and kind of being made to look like a bit of an idiot, really, nearly losing to Seth Rollins in a few minutes and that kind of thing. And then you transfer him to the kind of the grimy, manly surroundings of the Big Japan wrestling um strong division you know what i mean and this match was it was big japan's one of their biggest shows of the year in sumo hall um and he was in a tag match himself and daisuke sekimoto against yuji okobayashi and yuji hino and um like even walter's demeanor in this match like he looked so much happier and energized and enthused about being in there with these guys you know what I mean and like if if you read his tweets and you hear interviews with Walter he's a huge fan of Japanese wrestling and he's a huge fan not so much a new Japan fan but more a fan of of the kind of the, the all Japans and the big Japans and, and, and kind of getting to mix it up with the big guys in, in, in Japan you know and this is very much what it says on the tin like four big guys just beating the crap out of each other basically you know what I mean lots of big chops lots of lots of you know, macho squaring up to each other and putting their arms behind their backs and letting each other chop each other and big suplexes and lots of fire and that kind of thing. But just a really, really good match. Like I, I would go as maybe 4.25 stars on it. I, I would say just to see Walter in a different environment and just to cleanse your palate of that, of that raw appearance. You know what I mean? I, I would say to people, definitely go out there and and watch it, you know. Um, and again, it, it made me, like I said, seeing him on Raw kind of made me a bit sad and in a way seeing him in this environment may be a bit sad as well you know what I mean because like I was very upset when Walter signed that NXT contract you know what I mean and it's the usual thing you know I don't blame him he was apparently offered a very 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 good contract like they desperately wanted to get him kind of away from other companies and it needed a big offer to kind of get him so I, I don't begrudge him taking the money and I don't begrudge the guy kind of securing him and his wife's future brilliant fair play to him but like the wrestling fan in me and the the, the, the fan of Walter and the you know, I've enjoyed Walter for a long, long time now and followed his career for a long time. And I miss seeing him in matches like this. You know what I mean? And I kind of got the impression he missed, he misses this kind of stuff himself. Like he genuinely looked really happy having this match. And after the match, the four of them were in the ring, like, and they were kind of joking. And you could see him, there was, somebody put a picture of him up on Twitter after the match, like, and his chest is completely chopped to pieces, like covered in bruises and blood clots and all that kind of thing. And he just has this big happy smile on his face that he's kind of getting to wrestle the wrestling he wants to wrestle rather than wrestling the stuff that he has to wrestle in WWE. You know what I mean? And it just made me sad that we that, that the opportunities to see him in these environments are kind of getting fewer and fewer as well and that kind of thing, you know. Yeah, certainly um, on my list of match to watches, and I'll certainly be checking it out because uh, it's like you say, is it's, it's always uh, better seeing wrestlers in the environment they want to be rather than sort of like the the stuff that Walter was doing on Raw. So definitely uh, be checking that one out. And uh, moving on to some uh, some small news items before we get out of here, and uh, Anton Deck, who uh, will be <laughs> now mainly around the world as the host of Britain's Got Talent, who obviously a massively popular duo over in the UK, present all the big shows for ITV, uh, recently made a program looking at their DNA and travelling around to see who they were related to. Uh, and in a pretty big surprise, it seemed Deck was loosely related to former TNA owner Dixie Carter, who appeared on the show with her daughter. I mean, this is as random a news story as you're going to get, uh, I think, this week, Bennett. Yeah, we were talking about this one at Grapple this week, and my main takeaway is, like, 
Surely, uh, Dixie Carter must be fuming that she's only just found out that she's related. <laughs> Surely she would have used that connection. And you know what? The TNA that we knew probably wouldn't be dead right now. ITV World of Sport never would have happened. Britt Rez wouldn't have died. And TNA would still be number one in the UK through that, uh, that <laughs> relation. If only that we followed that alternate timeline. But yeah, it was hilarious. I've, uh, I've, I hadn't seen the clip at the, the time of recorded Grapple, but I haven't seen it now. It's just, it's so funny. Like seeing like, Deck and Deck having no clue what they're looking at. Like it, it, it might as well be <laughs> yeah. giant haystacks and Big Daddy for all their concern. You know, Dixie Carter and Bully Ray and just Impact in general. Uh, they got no clue, uh, and they're trying to play along, but they're like, yeah, they're like every you know non wrestling fan, not really sure what they're even looking at there. But yeah, I did see uh, Dixie Carter get referred to as a as a wrestling legend in TV reviews of uh, of Ant and Deck. So you know, she's got that going for her. Uh, and yeah, what a random one! Didn't expect to see Dixie Carter on on TV again. Uh, <laughs> and here we are with with PJ and Duncan themselves. Uh, what a world! Yeah, it was funny because um, you know they they weren't bothered about the wrestling stuff at all. And then she was like, "Oh, um, you sort of like my family run an energy company." They were like, "Oh, energy company." And she was like, "Yeah, yeah, turn, it's about five billion dollars." And they were like, "Oh, wow, yes, really interested now." You know. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. But yeah, yeah, Dixie would have milked that for all it was worth if that had happened oh, yeah. during the TNA. Oh, yeah. Season, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, another small news item before we head out of here. Uh, ROH have announced they'll be starring airing a weekly TV show on the Fight Network UK alongside other uh, Fight Network UK programming such as Preston City Wrestling. I mean, Benno and James use the ROH bots. Uh, are you eager <laughs> for ROH TV? Have you got it uh, set up on the uh, recording already? Uh, <laughs> yeah, as we explained, I think recording wasn't a thing back when we would have cared about this. I think James, uh, <laughs> exactly. TV killed TV killed ROH as it was, and I mean, even that TV product back then was light years ahead of what what we would be seeing on the Fight Network now. To be honest, but like, yeah, like I mean, at this point in my fandom, ROH is way down my list of priorities of things to watch, and it's it's kind of like every now and again you'll hear of a good match that happened sometimes on there. Like that actually was a really good match between Jonathan Gresham and Alex Shelley a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. I think on their TV show a couple of weeks back, phenomenal match. Like you know, and they can like they have enough talent that they can throw up these good matches every now and again. But like it's not a TV show. I'll be I'll be tuning in to watch on a regular basis now to be honest yeah that's it back in the day when the roh went on the wrestling channel i think they created a lot of fans as we said earlier yeah. in this country i don't think we're going to be creating many fans who fight network uk i know there's there's odd weeks isn't there where pcw will do like a random good number i've seen ben brett reservoir days put those those numbers up online at times and like you know it like we've been saying about uh, tv ratings in general uh, both off air and on the podcast that can just depend on you know one or two households tuning in and all of a sudden it looks like it's a mega hit uh but it's just unfortunately the uh the old school tv rating system i think we've got in this country uh but yeah, as far as like the wars go, I don't think we're all going to be paying too much attention to whether ROH or PCW or Impact or the other programming that they've got on Fight Network UK is uh, is doing better than than one another. Um, again, I think I'd rather Fight Network finally uh, finally put put some of that money to uh, some better use and maybe brought back the law or something. Remember when they were saying they were going to do that? Uh, but <laughs> as far as bringing in ROH for uh, for UK TV, uh, I don't think it's uh, it really a, a huge headline but it's kind of you know it's it's about time I, w- I would have said you know a few years ago when there wasn't as much 
competition for eyeballs and as much you know good tv out there you know the rig it was a bit weird that ring of honor never really managed to find themselves much of a, a foothold over here but for me it, it does seem like too little too late and yeah i can't see it being a point of viewing for uh, for a lot of people yeah i mean did you see that picture um that they put up um after obviously they got all that uh negative sort of feedback in the past couple of weeks and they put that picture up you know with all the crew and wrestlers in the same picture and you know try and try united they were and then uh, mark haskins couldn't look any less like he gave a fuck about being there because <laughs> <laughs> uh, like haskins is someone who like i think he, he's benefited from like that just being out of sight you know yeah. from britain because he was so yeah, stale. He was way overexposed, yeah. Something different in ROH and the little glimpses of it that I've, I've seen of him there. But yeah, it's from the sounds of it, that that uh, that work and atmosphere and just the general staleness around, around ROH in general, it's not the, uh, doesn't seem like the best place to work right now. So um, any plugs, James, any plugs for we had out of here? Um, no, just my Twitter at Jamesy underscore 2015. And um, just to, to plug, I suppose, WH Park's um, Liger series that he's that he's dropping every Sunday at the moment on the network. I know Benno's done his. Um, I've recorded my one. It's in the can already. So, um, yeah, I look forward to it. I think my one won't be out for a good few weeks yet. But just to give WH a plug, like a really, really good podcast series. I especially enjoyed your one, Benno. It was great. Great listen altogether. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah, it was a huge honour to get on with WH. He's someone I've been listening to for years and some of his opinions I greatly respect as well. So it was a real treat for us. And so let me come on as Justin Thunder Lager series and much like this podcast today, let me railroad it with a constant Ring of Honor references. <laughs> I think we uh, we pulled it a, a good show out of it. So yeah, definitely check that out and uh, the other shows uh, on the feed there with Thunderstruck coming up. Obviously, there's ones uh, with both of you guys coming up uh, and there's ones with, uh, with JP from Grapple coming up as well um but yeah just uh, definitely download that download uh my grapple podcast grapple spotlight uh, as we said earlier this week we've uh talked a bit of the bit of the news this week but we also did a full review of uh full gear from the weekend as well so you can hear my detailed thoughts on kenny omega um yeah he's been a constant subject recently for me on that show uh and you know a lot of the positives from that show as well that, that great cody Rhodes uh, jericho match we go in depth on too as well as you know all the references you, you could possibly want uh to do you know with phil mitchell and anthony gogo and whoever else uh, pops into our heads uh, <laughs> on, a, on a giveaway yeah jp certainly had some good uh booking ideas didn't he around the uh sort of like especially with mjf oh, yeah. and uh and the cody Rhodes <laughs> match. Yeah, so good stuff oh. by uh jp definitely check that uh episode out and uh yeah we'll be back on friday 29th of november uh no doubt talking about the big red pro british j cup featuring amazing red v pack and uh all the rest from european wrestling and uh thanks for listening and we'll catch you then